and welcome to the Watcher's Guide to the Marvel Universe, the show that just needed a break. It's not you, it's us. It really was us. I'm Max. I'm JR. How's it, how's it, well, how's it been, I guess? (laughs) Um, fine. Lots of work stuff, uh, that was weird and sucked, uh, in equal measure, and it's, it's done now, so hopefully... But other than that, uh, it's fine. Cool. And yourself? <clears throat> oh, man. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, bronchitis that seemed to never end. And then once it finally did, had to take my daughter to the hospital because she got hit in the eye with a uh, seesaw. Was so. it like the, like the eyebrow or underneath? It was eyelid. It was oh, like God. right... It was, it's literally, when her eye is open, it's right above. Yeah, it's, that's why it was, that's why it was such a problem, and. Oh, I thought, I thought we were talking stitches, like, because I've had stitches in my head, like, three, it was, I've either had it twice and my brother's had it three times, or vice versa, one of the two. And it was always forehead and yeah. once in the back of the head, and like, if you get, you're, you're supposed to have stitches by the time you're eight, yeah. right? Like, if you don't... You've been living in a... You're a bubble boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh. And so, we, so you're, like, stitches, but, like, on the eyelid... Yeah. Woof. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. have a good that nurse was, for that. Do what? You gotta have a good nurse for that. They were doing their best, but, man, we, we still had to... We had to hold her down because uh, she was just so... She gets so freaked out, yeah. so freaked out. Like she wouldn't, they were trying to check her ears and yeah. they tried it. She wouldn't let them do that. She was just like, ah, ah, ah. and it's just like, no, dude, she's, you get this done at the doctor's office. You just had this done. And, uh, so yeah, it was, damn, they had to give her ketamine. And, uh, the thing about ketamine is that. With ketamine, you don't go to sleep, okay? Your mind just dissociates. So, we held her down, we got the IV in her hand, they drugged her, and then, like, she was just laying there, like, eyes open, just like, and not there. Not there at all. And so that was, uh... That was fun. Sure. I, I've been having nightmares about it. Like, it's been bad. God. Anyway. Okay. Happy um, Time Funny Book Show. Happy Time Funny Book Show. What do we got for news? Uh, well, so... <clears throat> Marvel Comics number one. The first appearance of the original Golden Age Human Torch. Just sold at auction for 1.6 million? It was a lot. It was more money than I will ever have at one time. Uh, And I guess that's the record for a single issue being sold. Previously, it had been Action Comics, but... uh, Yeah. But yeah. I feel like... And this is going to get me in trouble, like, on this this show particularly, but I feel like Action Comics is worth more. Like, to me. if If I were... If you were to ask me... Which would you rather have? 
That's going, fair. I'm going with Superman, right? That's fair. E- even though I don't like Superman. No, that's that's completely fair. I, you know, it's obviously, you know, assigning value to something like that is, you know, a thing is worth as much as someone is willing to pay for. Correct. So, yeah. You know, it's whatever. a sticky wicket to start. Uh, you, it's it is purely subjective. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, but I mean, no, I'm I'm right there with you. Like when it comes to when it comes to which is the, I mean, Action Comics number one, whether you like Superman or not, that is the first superhero comic. Yeah. That is the first proper. There were hero comics before, and there were people that you know the pulp heroes were nothing new. But that was the first legit superhero comic, so that there's nothing wrong with saying, yeah, that pro- that one probably ought to be worth more. I think, I think the the price was buoyed uh, by a the MCU. Well, but also just regular ass inflation, right? Yeah. But also the fact that Marvel has been celebrating their 80th anniversary. So there's that, I think, kind of fed into it. And uh, so, yeah. So I think I think under ordinary circumstances, Action Comics number one would most definitely sell more than Marvel Comics number one. I think that was just an opportune time for them to sell a sure. comic of Marvel, yeah. of Marvel Comics number one. So, yeah. <clears throat> okay. Uh yeah, there's that. Uh, Interesting Silver Surfer. Yeah. Conundrum. Well, well so, uh, so interesting thing. Um, we've not really talked about Null on the show because there has a, we haven't even had Venom show up. So well, we haven't had Venom. There hasn't really been a reason. The yeah. black suit hasn't, you know, there's like, there's not really been any reason to talk about Null. But, uh, so, if you are unaware of what's been going on with the symbiote side of things in the Marvel Universe, the symbiotes have a creation story now. And I, you know, I'm not going to call it a creation myth because it literally happened in the universe of Marvel. Uh, but they were created by this godlike being called Null, uh, K N U L L. Uh, who was really just kind of angry about all this light being so goddamn everywhere. And uh, so he created the, he decided to wage war against like light and life and blah, blah, blah. And in doing so, created the symbiotes to, uh, to create an army of followers that he could control. Right. Um, So yeah. So, in Silver Surfer Black, the Silver Surfer went back in time to the beginning of the universe uh, and teamed up with a very young Ego the Planet. And I guess Ego, it seems, got an origin story in Silver Surfer Black as well. Um, but he travels back in time teams up with Ego the Living Planet, 
to fight Null, um, and then has no way to get back to the present, so he just hangs out and waits. Um, and the Which thing is, is... That's just rem- a remarkable amount of patience. Well, you know, the, the Silver Surfer is a dude who likes to just hang out and contemplate. So I could totally see him just chilling for 14 billion years. Like, <laughs> he was like... The, the man likes two things. Sitting to contemplate and pining for Shalabal. That that is yeah. Those are if if you were to set up a an OK Cupid profile, yeah, for Silver Surfer, it would be <laughs> likes contemplation and pining after my lost love, dislikes uh, creatures from the negative zone, uh, <laughs> finding planets to sustain my former master. Um, but the th- but the thing about it is so. <clears throat> that means he's already impossibly old. But apparently I didn't realize because I've not I've never been a big Silver Surfer fan, so I don't really read his book. Right. Um and so I did not realize this is the second time that's happened. He went back to before the creation of the universe and then just hung out and waited. And so that means he is twice as old as the as rest of the universe. Anything in the universe. Uh, even like Galactus is ostensible. So Galactus predates the universe, but yeah. he was a normal being with a normal lifespan at the end of the previous universe, which means age wise, like unless there was a huge gap between their big crunch and our big bang that means that even so he pre he is older than galactus by a wide margin right so yeah that's just weird yeah and like continuity wise like at least he had the sense from a you know a time travel narrative to just sit there yeah. And not get involved in anything, otherwise he'd clearly make it worse. Right. But, yeah. I rather like the idea of Silver Surfer... Now, I've not read the issues in question, so maybe uh, maybe they do this. But I quite like the idea of Silver Surfer just sitting on a planet as like life springs up around him. Sure. And, like, not really moving, not really di- just sitting. And, like, uh, to the extent that, like, stuff grows up over him and people, the the beings that ri- evolve around him consider him just, like, part of the landscape. And then one day he just, like, stands up and it's like, okay. Time to go. <laughs> and they're just like, holy shit, that mountain just moved. What the fuck just happened? So, yeah. <laughs> I like that for two things. One, the time lapse. Like, I, I like what, like, in my mind, watching the time lapse of that happen. Yeah. The, and, like, the glaciers moss, like... move over him, but he doesn't move. And, like, rocks form and dwindle away. And, like, life literally starts as an ooze. 
and or whatever I don't know silicate ooze and uh, forms intelligence and he's just he's not even looking at them like yeah that's the thing that I love the most about this picture is he's just like thinker yeah fist on chin just sitting there right not blinking and like not. the life around him like the and it, let's say it's intelligent life for some reason shows like develops and they're just like what the fuck is this like what is this and it, he never moves right until the moment that he's popped from here to the beginning of the universe and then he stands up and he's like all right well talk to you later guys board well, and the board shows up out of nowhere and, and they're all just like that. oh my god we were living with gods yeah. like not, not only that destroyed them not only that, but he's done this twice now, which means that's happening on two separate planets <laughs> at any given time in the history of the Marvel Universe. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's also, like, kind of sadistic and bad. Oh, well. Whatever. Uh, so, yeah. So, that's... That's that. There's a there's a lot of really the cosmic stuff at Marvel has been really has been really interesting of late. It had it had kind of hit a lull. Yeah, after Conquest uh, or Annihilation. Well, so so I kind of I kind of like. There's a direct line from Annihilation Conquest to. Uh, to uh, or sorry, from Annihilation to Conquest to uh, like War of Kings and all of that stuff, yeah, to Thanos Imperative, yeah, uh, which was kind of the end of that batch of cosmic stuff, okay. Um, I guess I, I didn't, the only part of War of Kings I've read is there was a Guardian's tie in like a couple issues that were really really sidebar mm -hmm. that only had the logo on it because like they made them put it on right and right. Uh, i don't think i read any of the any of the rest of that it seemed cool dark hawk had some really interesting stuff going yeah on. uh because yeah because you don't get to say that a lot you really don't <laughs> like other other than uh Avengers Arena, which is basically Battle Royale. Avengers um, Arena is crazy. Yeah, and Avengers... Avengers... Is it Underground or Undercover? I forget. The, the follow-up. Like, the follow-up. I think yeah. it's Undercover. And it's crazy, too. Yeah. The setup's crazy. And also the fact that, like... The thing that I like about the, the follow-up is, like... They're all... Like, the surviving five or six of them mm. are just fucked emotionally yeah and they refuse to deal with it yeah and yeah it's great and it's perfect like i, and I like, really like it and like death locket death locket i think was really interesting because she was kind of interesting in the first one right because she's just like a kid who suddenly is just like there and like has no idea what's going on right and then in undercover she winds up just being like, fuck it, I'm going to be a villain. And like, yeah. you're just like, what? No. 
You're the good one. <laughs> like, I've been shown that none of this matters. Yeah. Fuck all of you. Yeah. So, uh, but, but yeah, like, Darkhawk had a really interesting thing going on that added a lot to the character that previously had just been whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, and stuff like that. So, uh, it kind of hit a lull after, after Imperative. Um, I wasn't super into Bendis's Guardians relaunch. Uh, oh, part of part of that is because they'd uh, MCUized Star Lord, which I've I've made my feelings on that clear. Uh, but but yeah, um, it just kind of hit a lull, and so there's. Between this null stuff and the stuff stars or Silver Surfer has been doing, and so on, there's been some interesting cosmic stuff happening again here lately, which hasn't been the case for a little bit. That's so. cool. I like that the cosmic when the cosmic stuff is good and fucking weird. Yeah, I dig the shit out of it, but when it's a little like. You can kind of tell that when there are, when they sort of sideline it for a little while, and they don't like put a lot of editorial energy into it. Right. That the book may still the books may still be going, like yeah. Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy may still be running at that point in time. But they're just like they're. It's not getting as much attention and care from the editing side. Meaning, and by that I mean like they're not throwing their best writers at it that they can or whatever mm-hmm. like that or like encouraging newer writers that they have put on the cosmic side and like shepherding them they're just like hey you go write the book um it'll be fine yeah and then but when they're doing like when someone comes up and they're like i want to do an annihilation and i have a decade's worth of stories that i kind of think and i'll let you pitch to other people then then it's fucking killer yeah, well, and and the major thing is, um, you know, the major the major problem I've had for with Guardians for a while is that, uh, you know, the phrase the phrase "jumping the shark" gets tossed around a lot, but I think what's interesting about the phrase "jumping the shark" is that the creators of the phrase talk about how what it really comes down to is that jumping the shark is the moment when uh, uh, a an intellectual property, a story, whatever it may be, uh, has used up its premise and starts relying on desperate novelty and gimmicks to survive and guardians of the galaxy i've been feeling for a while was doing that because it was just kind of like let's put iron man on there let's put captain marvel on there let's yeah. put venom on there let's put kitty pride thing like what what is going to be the thing that will like make this work again and and that's that's kind of that's definitely a shark upsurge moment. Um, we've used, we've used, we've mined 
Star Lord's well twice because we made a different Star Lord than we had before and then mined him. Mm-hmm. Um, we've mined Gamora because we can't mine Gamora anymore. No matter how many times we change her, she's still Thanos' daughter or something thereof. And like all that trauma is taken care of. Like we could do it again, but it's not. Uh, Drax and then, has been. You know, Drax has been 16 different people. Well, and he's we've done the whole, he's killed Thanos, and now what does he have to live for? You know, and on and on and on. And it's like, what do we do with him now? Yeah. You know. And then Rocket is, oh boy, like, you can't make that into a story because it's either, it's either too fucked up or it's too crazy, right? Or but like or both yeah like because it's it's one of those things that uh, the original premise of Rocket Raccoon was just kind of a weird uh, a weird pseudo Disney thing um, yeah and the the problem the problem with that is. That since the premise is already kind of, kind of a Disney-fied torture scene from uh, A Clockwork Orange. Yes. Like you know. Yeah. Uh, like the rictus smile. Like if you go fucked up cartoon, then all you can really do at that point is make the rictus grin wider, and it's just kind of like at a certain point. The tendons are just going to snap, guys. Or you just make it straight fucked up and it's just like, <laughs> oh god, okay. Like, and you kind of... It, my problem with Rocket's backstory, anytime that I've looked into it, isn't so much that it's messed up. It's that it isn't that it's just messed up. It's that it's so messed up that it, it, hard, it becomes difficult to have fun with the character anymore. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, just... Let him, and that's why it's like I just when I read Rocket, I just ignore most of that, any of that backstory knowledge that I might have because it's it's easier for a lot of reasons. But mostly, I just get to ha- I get to make the character in my head, like the way the voice sounds and all that. I yeah, I feel like the best thing you can do is if you if you are interested in the MCU character. And you want to read the comics, you're like, I really like Rocket Raccoon. I want to read everything he's been in. Don't read anything before Annihilation Conquest. Because yeah, I was gonna say Abnet the Abnet and Landing Run of Guardians and then Annihilation Conquest, which is right after that. that is, no, no, it's started. the other way around. Yeah. yeah. Um that's where I would go. And I'd be like, this is your rocket. There are no other rockets. Well, yeah. (laughs) You could go forward. You really, you really, in the same way that the Groot that shows up in Annihilation Conquest is a different Groot. Yeah. You really have to view this rocket as a different, all that other stuff is just so all over the fucking place. Yeah. You can't, you can't. No. Uh, should we talk about comics? I mean, we can sit here and, like, fuck it, let's just... No, I'm <laughs> no, uh, no, they have an expectation. They. 
our 12 listeners. <laughs> All right. Hey, we got retweeted by Kurt Busick. It's 13 now. He, we, he was incredibly nice. He was incredible. Yeah. Because was... we were just taking the piss. And he was like, well, okay. I mean, yeah, go ahead and tweet at me. And we were like, oh, no. We, yeah. Shit, I hope he doesn't think <laughs> we were salty. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was just, I was just making a joke. Yeah. Like, I was not even, oh, no, I was I, not I, even trying to, if, okay. There was no snark. It if was he, just, yeah. So, real, real quick explanation. Uh, in case you're listening to this and you don't follow uh, Either of Max us and I on Twitter. So, last week, uh, Kurt Busick had retweeted a Twitter account that was doing a Twitter sort of version of what we're doing here. Right. Obvi- obviously, I there are other podcasts out there that are doing the same thing yeah. we're doing. We are not trying to. This we're not trying to say anything about like you know. We are not a beautiful and unique snowflake. No. There is there is nothing like when when this started it yeah. was I I wasn't aware of anything like that but like in setting it up and whatever I found others yeah. and I was just like you know what whatever it's it's we're doing it for shits and grins who cares yeah whatever um but I jokingly uh, I, I took a screenshot. I wasn't even, I wasn't, you didn't even reply to him. I wasn't quote tweeting. Yeah. I wasn't like, I didn't tag him into it. No. Nope. Kurt Busick apparently searches his name. <laughs> uh, but you know, the, the, I made a joke wherein I posted a screenshot of his retweeting, uh, this Twitter account. Uh, that is doing this same sort of thing, starting at Fantastic Four number one. And I jokingly said, like, I mean, dot, dot, dot. And then I followed that up with, like, I know we haven't recorded for a few weeks. I've had, I've been sick. Like, I couldn't talk, you know. And Max replied, and we started this whole thing about, like, you know, did you not fill out the proper paperwork? And I was just like, I don't know. Who do I, who do I file that with? Kurt Busick with Marvel? Yeah. You know, I was like, I don't know. Start with Busick. It looks like it couldn't hurt. And he, and he was, he, at that point, I think he was like, yeah, why don't you let me know? I'll tell him. And I was like, we immediately both like just clenched. Yeah. Because like, like my, my butthole became airtight at that moment. I was like, oh no, he's, it's like when, when you're making fun of your mom and you find out that she's in the other room and you're like, but not making fun. You're just, we weren't even making fun. We were just, yeah, no, back and forth. But anyway, the the important part is that he was, we got back to him, JR got back to him and was like, this is the show, (coughs) this is the links, these are the Facebook page or whatever. And, uh. He retweeted it was like, hey, speaking of, seems like there's another podcast kind of thing of this. Go listen to them if you want. Yeah. Like, that was all he said, but it was so nice, and he was really gracious about it. And that yeah. Was, 
freaking cool. Yeah, because there were there's a lot of people that would have been like, well, fuck you. I'm just yeah. trying to share a thing I thought with, and I I was initially because his his initial response, I my anxiety made me misread it. Well, and I think the thing that he responded to was, I think the last tweet I sent was something to the effect of, do you think we should let them know that we're 14 book, 1,400 books ahead of them? And because that was the saltiest that it got. Yeah. And even really, it was playful salty. Like yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, even a thing. it wasn't, yeah, it was. And he was just like, yeah, it was ahead. saline. It was pseudo salty. Yeah, like, exactly. you know, <laughs> emulsifying. Yeah, and it was he, but yeah, he he retweeted us and uh, uh, I, oh well, he uh, he retweeted all the stuff that you you sent him. Yeah, and uh, that was cool as hell. So if you're here because uh, Kurt Busiek sent you, hello, and also um, thanks, Kurt. Yeah, yeah, Mister Busiek. Yeah, uh, big fan. <laughs> Really big fan. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, let's get into it. Um, our first issue this week is uh, is a continuation of the end of the reading we did several weeks ago. Uh, it is Marvel 2-in-1 Annual Number 1, which is written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Sal Bushima, inked by Sam Granger, John Tartaglioni, and George Russos, colored by Phil Rachelson, and lettered by John Costanza. Uh, so at the end of the Fantastic Four, uh, I believe it was the annual I think that so. we read, <clears throat> uh, the FF went back in time because there was a big to-do, some vibranium fell through time, and was found by the Nazis. So the Fantastic Four teamed up with the invaders um, to, to get it back. They recovered half the container. Um, they come back. The Watcher's still just like there. He's just like, what's up? You have fun? And Thing is just like, you're still here? There's still more... What Why are you still here? Yeah. Oh my god. And like, the the thing that he does at the beginning of this is actually kind of fun. Because he's like, you're still here. Why are you still here? You're snot. You're not. Are you really not going to talk? You're really not going to talk. Are you still here because you need me to go back in time again? Yeah. Fuck. Okay. Yeah. And he just jumps into the time platform again. And he figures, how does he figure out how to get back? Or where he needs to go. Uh, I forget. Okay. So he, first of all, he bars the door and prevents the others from getting in. Um, uh, the, God, I'm trying to, this one, <laughs> I started reading this before I got sick, which means it's been, Four weeks since I read this issue. Same. Uh, stuff starts disappearing. And like the World Trade Center disappears, which, <laughs> give it time, buddy. Um, sorry, never forget. Um, 
the uh the uh it's the tv tower on top of the empire state building right so he's like all right that went up on night in like the 1950 or in 1950 so that must be it he kind of takes a blind guess yeah yeah um so so he goes back to 1950 and well it's still 19 he goes back to 1942 six is it yeah okay whatever uh so he goes back in time he winds up in the middle of the street there he meets a young john romita uh (laughs) and everybody's freaking out um he is he takes off the helmet of his exosuit because if you'll recall from a month ago he's now human again and wearing an exosuit um everyone's just like nazi um but yeah and at some Um, point he gets informed that it's 1956 or 46 and he's like why are we still fighting the nazis yeah what the hell and yeah anyway the cops he basically says please go away and kind of accidentally smacks a couple of them um when out of nowhere actual goddamn nazis appear in planes uh one of which is this dude with a it's a it's the sky shark sky shark um wow and he's got to do a Japanese dude with him. Um, and then the Liberty Legion show up. And look, I, I, I love comics. I love comics. But I have a really hard time with the Golden Age stuff. I really just don't care. Um, I do too. I do as well. And it's because... The, the characters are so no character it's not just they're yeah. not even a power set it's just like I think the most interesting one is uh it's not Liberty Girl Miss America Miss America she's the most interesting one but not for a while yeah I I don't know I just you know and maybe 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 i need to give it another shot because i will i will admit there are things that i was never really into that even just reading reading for this i got i've gotten way into so fuck it maybe maybe but the problem is so last issue the last issue of this storyline had the invaders and the invaders at least are like fucking you know, it's Namor, Cap Captain and Namor, America. and the, the human, human torch that I likes. Fucking Union Tomorrow. Jack and shit. Oh, yeah. You know, and I don't even really care about that. No. I so don't care about these nobodies. <laughs> it's uh, really difficult to get me invested here, and they end up not doing it. Like, they had an uphill climb to start with, I guess, is yeah. what we're saying. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, at the, at the beginning of this, uh, at the beginning of this, my entire 
giving a shit about these characters is, well, Miss America and Wizard were ostensibly uh, Wanda and Pietro's mom and dad. So, okay, I guess I don't want anything to happen to them. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so the Liberty Legion show up and they're Jack Frost, Red Ra- Red Raven, who had shown up as a ghost previously. May have been before me. I don't know. Uh, Thin Man. Thin Man. Thin Man. Thin who Man? Who is literally like... Um, he's like two-dimensional. He's what Flat is, Man. From, yeah, uh, from Great Lakes. Uh, from... Well, I was thinking Flatman from uh, Great Lakes Avengers. Oh, yeah. What am, who am I thinking of from Doom Patrol? Oh, God. Why won't my brain work? I've been so, like... <laughs> Don't, fuck. Don't worry about it. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, Thin Man, Blue Diamond, Ms. America... Miss America, sorry. Because they didn't have Ms. back then. Whatever. Um... But yeah, so Ben, uh, Ben climbs a building and is going to use a flagpole to do whatever when the Patriot and Wizard show up and they're like, hold it right there, Nazi. And he's like, I'm, I'm not a, dude, I'm Jewish. I am Jewish. Uh, <laughs> dude, I'm not a nut. I am... I am not an... How many times do I need to tell you how many of them I murdered myself? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But so... Yeah. So, the members of the Liberty Legion that are fighting the Nazi planes manage to destroy a bunch of them and the Sky Shark flees. Uh, Meanwhile, Ben is, like, explaining, no, I'm from the future, there's a whole thing... Blah, 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 whatever. I'm here um, for vibranium. <laughs> like, what's a vibranium? And he's like, okay. they have got any weird fucking shit going on. And they're like, also, what year is it? And they're like, it's 1946. Okay, so see, there you go. There you go. You got weird shit. And he, they're like, what are you talking about? And he's like, the war ended in 45. And he, they're like, okay, you're, you're insane. He's like, okay, cool. Can I come with you at least? <laughs> like, yeah. The Liberty Legion, I feel like, is kind of the Coast Guard of, or not even not not the Coast Guard, the uh, the uh, what was it? George W. Bush was a part of for like a minute. Uh, the <laughs> National Guard. Uh, he was a Coast Guard. No, no, because he was whatever. It's it's like I feel like I feel like the invaders are sort of the superhero version of the army. They're off dealing with whatever, and the Liberty Legion is just like, "We'll keep the home front safe." Like, okay, guy, you you do that, whatever. Okay. We'll go to the fight. You, I guess, eat donuts. No, yeah, I don't, I don't know, whatever. Uh, so. Basically, uh, everybody gets in Thin Man's plane, um, and they bring they bring Ben along both as a 
kind of as an opportunity to allow him to prove that what he's saying is true, but also just to keep an eye on him because they're not entirely sure they trust him. Right. Uh, we cut to the uh, Sky Shark landing on a... Uh, it's It's kind of like an aircraft carrier, but it's a real flat boat. Yeah. And... We get the backstory of what they're doing, and essentially, the Japanese person with him is they're trying to prove he's an envoy that they're trying to prove out some new weapons or something. I for reals don't care. Yeah. Uh, so the Liberty Legion. Uh, the Liberty Legion split up because they know that the U.S. military is developing some shit, so several of them go to where a new cockpit is being designed, and some of them go uh, to where a new jet engine is being designed, and uh, some of them go to protect this scientist who is developing a um, a gyroscope. And so the ones at the co- with the cockpit go up against Masterman. The ones with the uh, jet engine go up against U-Man, an Atlantean. Uh, and then... Um, <clears throat> Sky Shark and Slicer, the Japanese guy, show up and uh, from their plane shoot the scientist. Um, and yeah, Sky Shark gets away and all of that. Um, the the Liberty Legion meets up and. Uh, they all kind of they they all kind of fuck up because every single one of them gets away with the thing they came to get. Yeah, they're all stolen. Um, so the Liberty Legion uh, <clears throat> regroups, kind of, and Ben Ben winds up. This is the dumbest part of this. I hate this so much. Is he goes up against a ship shaped like a swastika, which is, it's literally the, in the center, there's like the Nazi brain, and then the four arms of the swastika spin around. So this thing is literally flying around, sawing through buildings <laughs> and shit. Uh, ben finally gets the courage to, together to use a flagpole to launch himself at it, and that's where the, end, the issue ends. Yeah. Which I was, when I first looked at the cover of this, I was like, oh, thank God, we're going to finish this story in an annual, right? Yeah. It's a goddamn annual. You have all the time in the world. And yet they and just yet didn't do it. Just couldn't get to it. Yeah. So Marvel 2 and 1 number 20 is written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Sal Bushima, inked by Sam Granger, colored by Petra Goldberg, and lettered by John Costanza. Um, so Ben gets on top of the swastika ship, uh, and he, he's like, oh, 
it's a brain in a jar because of course it is. Uh, and the brain in a jar identifies itself uh, as brain drain. Um, brain drain hypnotizes Ben. And this is how we get the, the recap of everything that's happened up until now. No one gives a shit. Um, but no sooner does he finish that, Ben shakes off the hypnosis and Brain Drain is just like, oh, oh, okay. Well, I guess never mind. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he tries to, he tries to wreck, wreck shop. Brain Drain flees. Uh, and returns to their little mini aircraft, hidden aircraft carrier. Um, when, uh, <laughs> and so Ben is along for the ride. He, he winds up facing off with, uh, with all of them. With not Master only Brain Drain, but Sky Shark, Master Man, and You Man. Uh, they are getting ready. He's overpowered. Brain Drain is just like, wait, he's actually a guy in a suit. Uh, and so they try to, they decide they're going to take the suit because maybe, you know, being from the future, it can be of use. Uh, but he stops playing possum and, uh, fights, but then the Liberty Legion shows up and there's a big there's a big fight um, which 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 I don't care if Master Man and U-Man are have super strength this is now a 7 to 3 fight this should be over I'll give it minutes considering it's the Liberty Legion but like this should be done yeah and no, no, it's not. Yeah. A um, couple of them flee. Uh, Brain Drain takes off. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Sky Shark flees and Slicer is with him. And Sky Shark is just like, mm, yeah, see, you're just, you're weighing me down. I gotta, I gotta make haste. So, um, bye. And drops, <laughs> drops him out of the plane. Um, uh, Ben, so Masterman and U-Man are defeated. Ben recovers the last half of the, uh, the, uh, vibranium canister, which is when the Watcher shows up and is just like, thumbs up. And, uh, and, uh, so Ben's like, cool. Well, it's been fun. You all kind of suck, but whatever. <laughs> Laters. Comes back to the present right as Reed manages to get the door open. And they're just like, what the f... Oh, you got the... Where did... Oh. And uh, so Ben's just like, yeah, here you go. I'm gonna go see if Alicia is DTF. Uh, I do like that Ben's actually kind of cool in these. Now, hold on. I do realize it's because 
he's surrounded by weenies. But, like, it is it is nice that he... Because a lot of the time in 2 and one with the exception of that one with Black Widow, which was fucking rad. And the um, one with Man-Thing. And the one with Man-Thing. But the a lot of the time he just comes off, like, a little annoying. It, okay, so Ben Grimm is really, really cloying to me. Like, he's saccharine. It's very sweet. Um, always kind of has been. It's one of the reasons why I'm not as a huge fan, and I think I've all, I've pretty much always liked Hulk more, but Ben's fine. Ben's probably my favorite part of Fantastic Four, but I don't know. I'm not saying anything new here, am I? Nah. I, I liked Ben in this one because he got to, or it, it felt like he got to be the one who was like, alright, y'all are chumps. Uh, I gotta go. <laughs> like, especially at the end. It's just like, okay, this was fun. Uh, when you guys... I'll say... I'll say when, when Y'all live to, like, 19... I'll figure you out. Bye. Yeah. It's... <sighs> the best part of this story is that it's over. <laughs> Fair. Uh... Yeah, um, so, I don't know, I don't know. It went on way too long. It went on way too long. It should have been... It should have been done in the annual. Like It should have been done the in the first issue. The, the issue of Fantastic Four we read last mm-hmm. episode, yeah. that could have been a one-and-done thing. But apparently it was just like, oh, this is too good an idea. No, it's not. We got to do this twice. It's fine, but like, you don't need to. You don't need to revisit it, especially like, you just ended it. Why revi- Why revisit it immediately? This is this is like, um, this is kind of like, uh, the end of Back to the Future, where like, Marty literally gets home. He hasn't even, like, he's literally been in the house for five minutes when Doc shows up and he's just like, we gotta go to the future, Marty! And, like, but if they had done that and then, like, the week after Back to the Future came out, Back to the Future Part 2 had come out. Like, it's just kind of, like, slow it I need time to absorb. I wanted to enjoy your first thing. Yeah, like, let me, let me just... Like, absorb what's already happened and kind of digest that. And maybe give me some time to theorize. Like, yeah, think about, fun with think about what two's going to be like. Ooh. But, like, you, you, you can't just spring it on me immediately. Like, you can't just be like, no, no, we got to go back, back Marty. Marty. And, then, and then the next Friday, it cut back to the future <laughs> with no fanfare leading up to it. There's just ads on Friday that are like, by the way, Back to the Future 2. And you'd be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, yeah. Okay. Anyway. Uh, so we start We start now a, a little run of Power Man. Uh, the last issue we read, we read was 35. 36 was a reprint. So we yep. now jump to 37. Uh, so Power Man number 37 was written by Marv Wolfman, penciled by Ron Wilson. Uh, 
inked by Aubrey Bradford, colored by Michelle Wolfman, and lettered by Kieran Mantwell. Um, this, okay, so Luke comes into his office and it's all been turned to glass. Um, and there's a big thing about like Big Brother, Big Brother tells him to, there's like a note from Big Brother staying or saying, stay out of my shit. Um, Luke obviously goes, oh, it's Chemistro. Uh, if you don't recall, the last time Chemistro showed up, he had a chemistry gun. Um, and he blasted himself in the foot like a goddamn goober. <laughs> causing him to lose it. Well, and that was um, the thing is the original Chemistro or Chemestro or however we want to say it is like that was the charm of the whole issue was that he was just a mad doofus. Yeah. Like he was a really pissed off doofus. Yeah. And once you kind of figured that out reading the story of or the first story, you were just like, oh, all right. So that when he shoots himself in the fucking foot at the end, crippling himself, you're like, I almost felt bad for him. Yeah. Like, that was the cool part of that story was like, it got even uh, Luke at the end of that issue is like, well, shit, man. Yeah. Like, it's, it's like, why are you such a goober? <laughs> it's like, if you, if you were dealing with, if you were being chased by a dog. Yes. Like a cross-eyed, just like goofy-ass fucking dog. But it's chasing you. Like, it's chasing you and just like... Like, you know. Uh, and then it, while it's chasing you, gets its foot caught in a chain-link fence. Yeah. And your options at that point are like, run, or like, help him. Because, like... You're still... You have a soul. He's trying to hurt you, but also, like, look at him. Yeah. Look at him. Yeah. He he's just he's just lashing out at a world he doesn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> So that that was chemistro. Um but yeah. So uh, he he is he really kind of blows past this note telling him to stay out of Big Brother's shit. Um but like, yeah. Uh, so he immediately goes to get into Big Brother's shit, and but oh uh, no, 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 he, he's trying to track down. Yeah, he goes to try and track down Chemistro, the original Chemistro, because which, at this point he's operating under the assumption that it's the same guy. Um, at one point he tries to. Uh, he goes and visits Noah, but while he's there, he's attacked by Chemistro. But, like, there's no gun this time. Um, he is just, like, making shit happen. And, uh... Well, he, he visits the original guy first, which whose name is... Curtis Carr. Yeah, he, he visits him for... Or he does figure out where he lives. Goes to visit him. And, and while he's there, he gets shot at, or while he's crawling up the side of the building, um, he gets shot at by some goons. 
which he takes out, and they're like, we were just sent to watch... We were sent to take you out if you tried to get involved. And he's like, motherfucker, I... You, you turned my shit to glass. Yeah, I'm involved. And who are you working for? And they say that it's not... Or no, he, de- he doesn't get it out of him because the car crashes. Yeah, this whole thing. No, it is Big Brother. This whole thing is way too confusing. Anyway, uh, he does go and visit Curtis Carr. Curtis Carr is like, man, I ain't got no foot. Like, I'm not coming after you. Yeah, Carr... And- Car is just like no. I went straight. Like yeah. after I lost my foot, I went to prison and I got my shit together. But there was another dude in there that beat the secrets out of me. Like yeah, he, he was way too into my gun. Yeah, he made me tell him how it worked and how to build another one. Um, and uh, this guy's name was Arch Morton. Uh, and he was building. Uh, a new chemistry gun uh, when when uh, it blew up and now it has imparted the power to change things to Morton himself. To his hands. Specifically his hands. Yeah. Um, the Luke goes out and starts trying to find Chemistro. Um, and when he does, he does find Chemistro, but Chemistro turns the pavement under his feet into, qu- into quicksand and then turns his shirt to lead uh, so that he will sink faster. And so the, uh, the issue ends with Luke sinking into the ground um, and starting to disappear beneath the surface. Um, So yeah, let's let's go ahead and take a break for a minute. And uh, we will be right back with Power Man number (laughs) 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 But yeah. Yeah. yeah, people are just people are. Yeah, that's why uh, I that's why I, that's why I hang out with this cat. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I will say uh, about the toys that made us. Yes. So, uh, you know, there was a there was a fracture between Eastman and Laird. Okay. Uh, because Kevin Eastman. Had sold his shares of okay. Ninja Turtles, right. his share of Ninja Turtles, to Peter Laird, and then later Peter Laird sold the property to Nickelodeon, right, um, and made a lot of money, and Kevin Eastman got none of that. Yeah, that's why, like, you'll see Kevin Eastman at, at cons. I met him at a con once, just randomly, and. Uh, it's because, yeah, he didn't get any part of that whatsoever. Um, now, that's not to say he didn't make money during the course of the original the original run of Ninja Turtles, but like they say in the show, they say in the show that the first thing he bought was a tank. <laughs> like, 
He went out and he bought a goddamn thing. Okay. Like there, <laughs> I've never considered it being tank money, Rich. Like, <laughs> what kind of payday did you have? I got fucking tank money. <laughs> what? I mean, you know. Well, there was that thing about you could. Uh, there was a uh, an aircraft carrier for sale for like six million. From was that Brazil? It was uh, somebody. I forget who. Yeah, but yeah, I wanna I wanna buy an aircraft you know, carrier. Six million dollars is pretty cheap for an aircraft carrier. There's there have got to be problems with that. Oh, it's with that shit. I mean, first of all, it's haunted as fuck, right? Like that's that's baseline. We know that there are there are not only ghosts but ghosts of empanadas past. Uh, <laughs> Shall we say? Like, those those mattresses are full. Of just empanada farts. Yeah. And also, half of the ship constantly on fire. <laughs> it's, it's weird. But I, mean, but I mean, how cool would it be? How cool would it be to sell everything you own, buy, like, move out to the coast, and just live on an aircraft carrier? Like, like just, just, just you, you don't, don't need, need guns. guns. Like there, there don't need to be. You can, you can have the, you can have the government come down, and you can show them. Look, no anti-aircraft guns. I'm not trying to be a world power. I just, I just wanted, I wanted the USS flag as a kid. Yeah. Now I have the real thing. That's all. I'm just living out my kid, my childhood GI Joe dreams. You can, you can. You can become your own floating nation state yeah. if you want. Just go fifty miles out off off the coast. Yep, you are now a sovereign nation. <laughs> well, it just sucks because anytime you need supplies, you'd have to you'd have to bring your passport. Oh, and I bet the docking fees. Well, no, you you keep an extra boat. Okay, you don't want to take it. You got to leave. So now I own two boats. That's too many well, boats. <laughs> no, you you own you own an aircraft carrier, and then you own a boat to get you from the aircraft carrier to shore. Okay. Maintenance is going to be a bitch. Yeah. Full time job. See, that's why I like the idea of just parking it off the off the coast. Yeah. Not you know not a I don't need to be my own nation state. <laughs> It's just a floating mansion. That's really all it is. Just like, hey, you know, man, and work, work out a deal. Work out a deal with the ghosts, with the United States government, where it's just like, look, if you're hard up, you need an extra air ca- aircraft carrier. Put me up at a Radisson. Take it out to the Gulf. Whatever. Like, I you. You guys, what you I barely, can, I can barely drive it. <laughs> you, you don't realize it takes twenty people to drive this thing. I can't do it. Yeah. Oh, well, we'd have to have so many more kids. Oh uh, no. Anyway, we're back, and we are back. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna do some fucking power, man. Oh man. God damn it. 
All right, Power Man number 38 is written by Bill Mantlo, penciled by Bob Brown, inked by Jim Mooney, colored by Janice Cohen, and lettered by Joe Rosen. So, before the break, you know, lead shirt sinking into the street. Uh, Cage is initially fighting it. Um, but then he has, then he does, then he does something I was, I was very happy about, because this is a, this is a, uh, a pretty smart move on his part. It's not to say I think, I thought Cage was stupid. But, no, no, no. It's, it's, um, it's unconventional thinking. And it gets him, I like it. Yeah. He, uh, he's like, well, the shirt's too heavy. I'm not going to be able to, to force my way back to the surface so he does the opposite he goes down and he manages to uh break through the bottom out into the sewer or into the subway sorry and uh gets away but he's being he's being followed by cheshire cat and god cheshire cat is so annoying in this um well, and it's at this point that we get our first inklings of multiple actors, right? Like, yeah, we know he's being hunted, or he was told to stay out of Big Brother's business. And we know that, so we know Big Brother's around, but we start getting our first inklings of, because Cheshire Cat is not working for Big Brother. Yeah, he is. Cheshire Cat works for Big Brother. Right. Chemistro works for the Baron. Oh, but... Yeah. But somehow, Luke's got it in his head that Chemistro works for Big Brother. Right. He's being fed information from some of... The Baron... The Baron had Chemistro attack in order to make Luke... uh, And leave the note saying, stay out of Big Brother's business in the hopes that... Uh, Cage would uh, then attack and destroy Big Brother, leaving the Baron free to do his thing. So, yeah. <clears throat> so, Luke heads back to the Gem Theater, um, and Dave's like, hey, your, your office is still glass. And Cage is like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. God damn it. Um, but, uh... So he goes and sees Curtis Carr again. Yeah. Who is up and hobbling around. And, uh, I guess just to, like, prove to himself one last time that Curtis Carr both has no foot and B is, has gone straight. And he kind of, he gets himself satisfied. He's like... You're well, not yeah. Chemistro. Because as he's leaving, he's attacked by Chemistro. He's, and it's at this point that he's like, okay, this is clearly, like, Carr is clearly on the level. This is a different dude. Because he, um, he walks out of Carr's apartment and the steps turn into paper. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, Chemistro, Chemistro continues the, the fiction that he is working for Big Brother. Um, we have a brief vignette where Claire is just like, I don't know how I'm supposed to be with you when you've got all this shit going on. 
And Cage is like, well, but you knew all this shit when we got together. Which, they're both, they're both right. I mean, like, yeah. Claire's, so. Claire has a very, very good point, and uh, I'm okay with it. I don't know. It feels like it's been a while since I read this, so sometimes I'm kind of trying to remember how I felt. I, I am always, so, the, the whole significant other wants a hero to quit being a hero, and the hero says, well, you knew what it was when we got together. It's trite, it's cliche at this point, um, stuff like that, but I think fundamentally it is a, it's a situation that works, because... Yeah. There is no right here, you know? No, it's it's trite and cliche, but it's also totally understandable. So it being in all these stories is like, well, okay, we got to do this eventually, right? Like, yeah. It's part of these relationships. And, right. All right. Um, it's how you, you set that situation up, and then it's how you get out of it. Like, how the story works its way through that is... Assuming part. it does. Assuming I mean, it does. Sometimes it's Spider-Man. The uh, CW Black Lightning show yeah. kind of shows you the the one eventuality of it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. But it, it sort of starts post having gotten through the other side of that problem. This, uh, and this is our setting up that conflict scene. Uh, right. I don't think we really do anything with it yet. No. Uh, she, I mean, we touch on it briefly, and she's just kind of like, yeah, okay. But, like, it's not It's not really resolved. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing that happens in this is uh, the IRS show up and are like, we're gonna audit you. And my teeth fell out from boredom. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, I cannot care at all about this because like i'm sorry guys there are no interesting outcomes from you get audited and maybe found out but probably not like well you know it's uh like the the thing about it is it's it's annoying because I know I know where it's going and I know why we're doing this but by the same token when I'm actually in the moment it's just kind of like yeah I get it I don't care about Luke's tax bill let's move this thing along come on yeah uh, so yeah um, so Luke uh, Luke starts Luke decides you know what Chemistro is annoying but Chemistro is a side problem. I've got to deal with the root of this, which at this point in time, he believes to be Big Brother. So, he uh, he tears through. Um, like, he, he literally, as I recall, he just walks in, and they start like, oh shit! Bang, know, bang, bang! And he's just like, man... What are you? What are you doing? You, <laughs> you so, know about the 
you know about the skin, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, it, I want everyone to know about the skin. The skin is a selling point. Yeah. Um, and so he he busts up and like the thing I I think I forgot, but Chemistro planted the information in Luke about where Big Brother was. Right. Like he gave him the office building specifically for this purpose. Like right. I need you to go. And uh, Luke doesn't know he's getting played yet. Not yet. Uh, what I will say is, I I think. The thing that bugs me about supervillain goons is uh, is the fact that look at the superhero that is invading your uh, your hideout building, you know, fortress, whatever. If they're showing a lot of skin. That dude's invulnerable. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. That's all there is to it. Yeah. If they, if, like, every inch of them is covered, you know, that could go either way. Take a few, but, take a few exploratory shots with that. Right. But with, but when a man in just regular ass clothes with the shirt open to his navel yeah, like, walks Luke in. Cage is wearing a billowy silk shirt. There is no attempt. Literally, the only metal on him is his belt and his little tiara thing. Like, this dude walks in, any supervillain minion has to be able to look at that and go, I'm not going to shoot you, because I know what's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess his bullets aren't going to do too well on you, and uh, I may end up hurting myself. Because yeah. of Ricochet. Yeah. I'm just gonna... Do you, like, need in here? I get... Wanna punch... Actually, could you punch me? Because I got a performance review coming up, and it'll look real bad if I just let you walk by. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. But anyway, so he punches through into a computer room where... So here's a question for you real quick. Okay. Real quick. Yes? What? You're a henchman. I'm a henchman. You are a henchman. I think at best I'm a henchman. I mean, you. I'm not. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying. You're not trying to, to put me down. I understand that. I'm not trying to diminish your potential as as a villainous lieutenant Ooh. or even as a mastermind. I'm not trying to say you can't be. I'm saying for the purposes of this specific question. Okay, I'm a henchman. You are a henchman. Sure. Who do you work for? Oh shit. Uh, aim. Really? Yeah, I think I'm an aim guy. Uh, I think because I'm the kind of dude who is more scared of the person I work for than the problems that I might be sent to solve. Right? Like, because it's very clear that all those bucket heads are far more terrified of MODOK than they are Captain America. Like, getting punched yeah. in the face by Captain America... Like, that's cool. But also, I know sure. Captain America's... Cap, Cap will just take you prisoner. Yeah, exactly. I know Captain America's deal. Like, if I go fight Cap, he's going to punch me in the face with a shield, and I'm going to be unconscious for a while, wake up in a hospital, straight to jail. Right? Right. And then I get out of jail, and I go back, and I'm vaporized. Right? right? Like, as soon as I fail, I am going to be Adams at best. Yeah. Um, 
So, so yeah, I think I probably aim. Aim feels like if this is a personality question, I feel aim. Okay, fair enough. My my concern about some place like aim is that uh, there's a lot of super science going on. Well, and that's that's a positive actually. That's one of the reasons why I was taking it is because until I get punched in the face by Cap, I get to be involved in some pretty interesting super science. The problem is super science has a tendency to break loose and murder everyone in its path. That's all I'm saying. Now, you know, if we because I I literally I had just rewatched there's an after hours about this question. Oh, okay. And uh, you know, there's some there's some interesting points that are brought up because like on the one hand if you're working for LexCorp, right? You get stock you get like stock options 401k all the, all of that. Um, there's no need to launder your income because you work for a, for a company. Right. You're not you're not like working for a criminal enterprise or anything like that. It's ostensibly above four and uh stuff like that one of the other options was like blofeld or somebody like that who has the like (coughs) volcano lair because while while yes there is the danger of falling into lava which it's a bond movie you're gonna fall into lava but during your off during your off hours <laughs> like you know so i don't know and presumably a... blofeld's getting some like good shit flown in too right yeah. like that man lives high yeah so even it's if you're even if you're getting just like the trickle down like it's still gonna be choice caviar i mean we're we're talking there's an espresso mean machine in the, the amenities except for the lava no you know what it's great amenities plus lava plus plus lava <laughs> I would live around lava. I don't care. I mean, we all gotta go. Right. It sounds like one of the worst ways to go, but... Well, no, wait. Third degree burns. I mean, your your nerve endings are gone before you even that's hit the not, lava. Dude, that's not third degree burns. That's, like... But I'm saying, going... like, the heat would be so intense that you would be unable to feel pain and see before you even hit the actual True. surface. True. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You would anyway. be ostensibly dead. So wait, who were you picking? I picked A. That I, you know, I I don't know. I don't I don't know. I I feel like like you got your Baron Zemo, not actually yeah. a Nazi. No, wait, he was a Nazi. Yeah. Well, the original definitely was. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. You got... I'm not, I'm not going Hydra, because that is some straight Nazi shit. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's, and that, that um, takes a lot off the board, though, henchman-wise. Well, AIM... The way, the way I look at AIM is that it is not... It's not currently a Nazi group. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is not... Right now, but it it's one bad day. Well, what what I'm saying is, aim aim is like the Volkswagen of of 
ideologies of uh, henchmen groups in that it started Nazi. And then went off and did it its own thing. Okay. Um, the Hugo Boss. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, because, yeah, like, AIM is just like, uh, we're not really trying to, like, destroy any particular race or anything. We're just knowledge. We're all about knowledge and wherever that leads us and stuff like that. Um, man. Uh, it's tricky. It is. It's a. It's a tough one. Um, Mole man? No, <laughs> no. I. I don't get enough sun as it is, <laughs> and I ostensibly live above ground. Okay. Um, my my therapist is constantly on me to get more sun, and so I think, I think if I. If I lived underground, I would go full goth. <laughs> like it would just be like, like goth nihilist. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't. Know. I that is because I've been thinking a lot about it. I think there's. I mean, the controller would be. That's I not think, a choice, though. Well, but here's the but here's the thing. If you signed up to work for the controller, okay. If you did it willingly, then you'd have an out. You know, if you get arrested, right? Oh. Like if 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 Iron Man is busting down the door, uh-huh. then you take um you take like a suction cup arrow like from a kid's bow and arrow set sure. and Just like stick it on the back of your neck. And then you go mix in with the survivors. So you've got the thing on your... You're just like, look. Oh, controller no. disc. Controller. <laughs> like, yeah. You give yourself a little hickey. And then you've got an automatic get out of jail there free. There you go. Card. Yeah, that's not bad. Uh, so, yeah. I, There's know, no perks with the controller, though. Do what? I don't see any perks with... I'm just... I'm just... I'm, I'm saying that's the one benefit... Ah, yeah. Of working. Because, like, a mind control villain, like, you know, yeah, you've got an out there. That's Um, true. Man. Uh, We'll mull that over. We'll come back to it, maybe. So, uh, Luke breaks into Big Brother's control room and finds that he he is a cyborg. And... I think I think Big Brother is interesting in theory, but we'll get to that next issue. Sure. Um, Power no- Power Man number thirty nine is written by Bill Mantlo and Marv Wolfman, inked by Klaus Janson, uh, colored by Roger Slifer and Jim Shooter, and lettered by Denise Wall. Um, so Luke Cage fights Big Brother and. Uh, you know, they, it, it goes back and forth because Big Brother has cybernetic augmentations that make him able to hold his own against Luke, but Luke is not going down either. So eventually it reaches a point where Big Brother's like, we're not going to get anywhere Yeah, just beating on each other. He does drop the, I had no part in setting Comestro on you before. Like, that's how he opens the let's quit 
fighting gambit. Right. Is he, he drops that down and he's like, and that gives Luke just enough to be like, wait a minute. Right. Okay. Sure. No more fighting. I will punch your ass, but no more fighting right now. Uh, what? Let's talk, I guess. Why, why are you saying these things? And Big Brother's like, okay, I know you're not 100% gonna believe me on this, but there's actually somebody else who sicked you on me in order to get me out of the way because I'm about to take over the criminal underworld of the city and he wants to do that. And he's like, okay, cool, fuck. What, what I find kind of interesting is Big Brother reveals his origin here. Yeah. And he's... What, what I think could have been interesting about Big Brother is that he's kind of similar to Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he is... You know, this is this is kind of like the this is kind of like the dark reflection thing. And what would have happened because he reveals that he also grew up in a hard neighborhood, uh, ended up, you know, was stealing shit, ended up taking it one too far, got sent to jail uh, or sent to prison, experimented on in prison, was legitimately trying to turn his life around, too. Yeah. And um, the experiment turned him into what he is now. Yeah. Uh, and instead of... He decides he's going to take over the criminal underworld because he can. Um, instead of what Luke did. Which is interesting because Luke could have done that too. It just it, It's a coin toss. Or, or coin toss. Wow, that was interesting. Um, and it just fell the other way. So. Yeah, and so you know that's that's one of those that's one of those things that it's the same sort of thing as like when they introduced uh, Mister Hyde as a Thor villain. Uh, in that, you know, that's that's very interesting as the anti-Thor. Yeah, and it's something that could be really interesting if explored but in the case of mr hyde he just kind of went off and did other things and like fought daredevil a bunch and never really fought thor all that much because it was no contest but i think big brother if developed properly could have been really interesting yeah in that sort of well but uh, also spider-man venom yeah well and it's even like even more so though because it's such a different power set like he is strong big and strong but like his whole deal is being uh connected like computers and stuff are what make him stronger yeah and like if you did that in an internet age that would be very that could be really interesting yeah um anyway he kurt busick if you're listening uh yeah no Uh, write that story i'd love it yeah no uh so he uh cage is just like all right well we're not done but you are not my problem right now so he leaves at which point cheshire cat reveals himself 
Uh, and uh, Big Brother's like, okay, well, keep following him. And uh, so Luke goes and visits Noah and Claire uh, and then pays a visit to, excuse me, to, uh, to Curtis Carr. And Curtis Carr in all of this has been working on a device to, to help fight Chemistro. Um, so <laughs> I love how they kind of wrap up the Baron like it's nothing because it literally is. He's just a dude who likes playing Renaissance. He's family. got way too much money and can buy a castle and just yeah. loves re- playing Renaissance fair. And he makes all his henchmen do it. Which... Yeah. Except I'm surprised he didn't make Chemistro like put on a big rough collar or something. Right. Um, but yeah, so he goes and he deals with, he deals with Chemistro in no time flat because he has, he slaps this device on him, which completely uh, negates his powers and then like breaks his hand <laughs> um, and then just takes the Baron out. Um, and, uh, but then the Baron is just like, no, like, look, big brother, he's, he's the biggest threat here. And Cage is like, come on, man. And, uh, I'm real tired of hearing that today. And Baron, the Baron is like, no, like, he's not just looking to, uh, to take over. He's looking to tread, like, He's looking at major societal collapse, basically. Yeah, uh, his whole his whole deal is to take over the entirety of at least New York Island or New York City's infrastructure and shut it all down. Yeah, abruptly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so Luke is like, "Well, guess I got to deal with this shit." Cheshire Cat is there because, of course, he is, and he's just like, "Hey, boss." So, yeah. Uh, so, Power Man number 40 uh, is written by Marv Wolfman, penciled by Lee Elias, uh, inked by Frank Giacoya, and colored by Janice Cohen. <clears throat> so, Luke heads back to Big Brother's uh, building, expecting him, for some reason, to still be there. <laughs> um, but he's not. Um Cause duh. So Cage is like, well, I'll, I'll head out. So he goes and he grabs a cab and the dude's just like, where are you going? And Luke, you know, tells him. Uh, and on, they're on their way when the cab is picked up by Big Brother who is flying... A, uh, the world's uh, most dangerous helicopter. Yeah, it's it's such a shitty helicopter. But uh, he, uh, Big Brother, takes the cab, tries to drop it into the water. Um, Luke rips his way out of the cab and starts like climbing up the cable to go after Big Brother. But once the cabbie gets dropped, or once the cab gets dropped. He's faced with a choice, and, uh, you know, of course, he's a hero, so 
he lets Big Brother go for the moment in order to deal with the person who's in danger. So he saves the cabbie. Um, excuse me. Then goes to visit uh, Noah at the hospital. Claire is there. Suddenly, they're all knocked out with some gas. Uh, Luke wakes up and has been... I don't want to say tied because it's more like manacled to the top of a train. Right. Um, and uh, basically, you know, now having now had gained control of infra of the infrastructure, Big Brother is now going to start destroying some trains to prove his control, and then he's going to blackmail the city. Um, and, uh, Luke, Luke is initially just kind of fucked, um, but he manages to get slightly, he manages to get somewhat free, but rather than trying to break the manacles, he winds up breaking the metal under him again. Well done. Yeah. I mean, Uh, the fact that he didn't try to break the chains, he just tried to break he realized he was never going to get through those, even though with the super strength. But he was like, but the train car gave a little. I guess I'll go through that. And then he goes through that, uh, jumps off the back of the train right at the last second, and then manages to... I mean, it's a pretty quick wrap-up. He manages to catch back up with the helicopter, uh, tear some holes in it, and send it careening over the side of a cliff, murdering everyone involved inside. Yeah. Probably. Cheshire Cat and Big Brother are both aboard the helicopter. And unfortunately, like I said, this is is one of those times where I'd actually be kind of willing to find out that Big Brother survived. Right. Because I think he could be developed into a really interesting villain. But he's remained dead. So, all of his villains, fuck it, I guess, kind of do that. With the exception of, like, uh, shit. Snake guy, copperhead, and knife guy. Copperhead or cottonmouth? Cottonmouth. Copperhead's a different guy. Yeah. Um, cottonmouth, and there was a snake what? Wasn't there a snake themed? Cottonmouth is a snake. All right. Anyway, uh, the thing that I, the thing that I thought was noteworthy about this story is how it's really, really, really muddy and confusing, pretty much from the word go. But they managed to wrap it up pretty well. Like yeah. it does devolve into a, it. Well, not devolve, but it it ends up being a fairly straightforward villain is ransoming the city kind of story. But when we get there, I feel like I should be more confused than I was. When, when once it kind of rounds down, it's like okay, and now we're we're gonna get out of the story, and it does it it land it sticks the landing pretty well. I guess is what I'm saying. No, yeah, I agree. Um, there were, there was some stuff about it that I was not 
super into like the Baron. The Baron. It was such a non-entity. The Baron is an obvious red herring. Yeah. And uh, that's fine. I don't know. They're they're both red herrings, and that's what's annoying. But like Big Brother is interesting. The Baron is literally just a dude in cosplay. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So Marvel presents number eight. Uh. This one. This one angered me. Uh. Is written by Mar- Roger Stern, penciled by Al Milgram, inked by Bob Wachek, uh, colored by Glynis Ween. And uh, lettered by Jim Novak. The most of this issue is a reprint of the first appearance of the Brotherhood of the Badoon in Silver Surfer number two, and that's what made me really annoyed. Is because when I saw the Silver Surfer was going to be appearing in Marvel Presents with the Guardians of the Galaxy. I was like, cool, future Silver Surfer, what's he been doing all this time? But what it turns out is there is a framing there is a framing story in which the Guardians of the Galaxy find a Badoon recording device, bring it aboard, start seeing what's on it. What they see is uh, the first the first encounter between Earth and the Badoon. Uh, that's where we get our reprint. Then at the end, Vin- Vance Astro goes full Vance Agro and uh, goes, ah, anger, and smashes the recording device. And I, what I like is Martin X is just kind of like, there was other stuff on that, bro. Like, there was a lot of stuff we could have learned from. That was one file, bro. <laughs> like, there was way more stuff there. What the fuck? Yeah. And who knows what we could have learned. And he just destroys the whole thing at that yeah. point. After he goes on some tirade about how, like, Silver Surfer might just be a name to you, but I grew up idolizing the guy or something. And... It's like, you're still having a tantrum, though. Like, that's what this is. And he storms off and everyone's like, even Nikki, who at the end of the last Guardian story, they were supposed to be getting kind of closer. And even Nikki's like, check out this asshole. (laughs) Like, what the fuck is that guy's problem? I cannot wait until we get to the actual books. Like, after Presents. Like, when we get to their book. Because... Everyone makes more sense by this. I can only help. Uh, Power Man Annual number one is uh, written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Lee Elias, inked by Dave Hunt, colored by Bonnie Wilford, and lettered by Gaspar Saladino and Denise Wall. Uh, So Luke Cage is in Japan. Turns out he's been hired by a woman named Amanda Sheridan. Uh, Amanda Sheridan's um, family were killed when Moses Magnum, back in that issue with Punisher and Spider-Man, Moses Magnum uh, had this uh, 
chemical weapon that reduced people to like soup. Yeah. Uh, her family, a bunch of her family members were killed by Magnum. Uh, she hires Luke Cage because her daughter is kind of in Magnum's sights. Um, the, this one, this one again kind of has some red herring stuff going on, but it's never really, it doesn't really get resolved. It's just kind of like, because the, it, there's another, there's somebody else who's operating in the shadows and has some sort of, exerts some sort of control over Magnum's men. And at the end, it's just kind of like, wonder who that was. But the the thing about it is, so she, Sheridan hires uh, <clears throat> Cage and says, I'd like you to find and protect my daughter and kill Moses Magnum. And uh, Cage is like, uh, no. Yeah, Cage like, is a, I'll do the first part, sure. I'll find and protect your daughter. Magnum, like, no. Like, I'm not gonna kill him. I'll bring him to justice or something, but, like, I'm not gonna kill him. At worst, I'll knock him down real hard. Yeah. And I I actually like how much he's, like, no. Because she presses him on it a couple of times, and he's like, lady, quit it. Yeah. Like, I will take your money, and I will do the thing. But I am not going to murder a man. Yeah. And eventually, eventually I, I like the fact that Sheridan is just finally like, uh, fine. I guess just find and protect my daughter. From Moses Magnum, who will be coming for her. And if something should happen, and Moses Magnum winds up dying, <laughs> it's not going to break my heart any. And he's uh-huh. like, I'm not gonna do that. No, wait, no air quotes. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he he arrives in uh, in Tokyo, um, meets up with Amanda. They come under attack from Sa- Samantha. Sorry, sorry. Amanda was the mother, the grandmother, I think. S- or da- yeah, yeah, mother, mother. Samantha, he meets Samantha. They come under attack from Moses, Moses Magnum's dudes. Uh, Luke manages to fight them off, but then, like, Magnum shows up, and he's got, like, his glove, and he just goes, boop, knocked out gas. Yep. Um, they are headed back to Magnum's base in his plane, when uh when this dude uh who is working for him gets the order from whoever this other party is they're talking about like a council and shit whatever um yeah so he is told to kill Samantha uh Luke Cage comes to and fights him off. Samantha comes to Moses Magnum comes back and he's like, what the fuck is going on? And Luke is like, there's a, there's a dude in your organization who's working for somebody else, bro. 
And so Magnum, Magnum, to his credit, is just like, oh, well. And, like, opens the thing and lets Cage and the guy just fall to their deaths. And, like, <laughs> and I like I like this managerial style. I really do. Like, this is good villaining. Yeah. Because, and actually smart villaining because he's like, oh, really? And instead of being like, is that true? Can I trust this man? He's just like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Toss them both out. Yeah. Fuck it. Like, I've had you clearly... Luke Cage are too many problems. And you, I don't care. Who's <laughs> the guy? Yeah. Like, what do you bring to the organization that I can't replace? Yeah. Like, and like, and if you really are working for someone else, that's a risk I can't take. So, just to put my mind at ease. <laughs> yeah. Out you go. So, uh, yeah. But, um, Luke obviously survives. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, goes. he manages to, like, hit a slope at just the right angle not to turn into paste. Yeah. They're over snowy mountains as well. Yeah. He 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 hits, like, he manages, he doesn't go straight on. Like, it's not <laughs> just like, uh, he manages to hit it at an angle and is able to roll to a stop. A uh, little banged up, unconscious, but he manages to come to and make his way to uh, Magnum's base. It turns out that Magnum's interest in Samantha has to do with the fact that she is a seismologist and uh, he he wants to use her uh, in his plan to bore into the earth and then, I don't know. I forget. I forget what the deal was like. Yeah, he's gonna his minerals. No. Because yeah, 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 yeah. Because she she was warning him by doing this, you're gonna set off earthquakes. You're and gonna destabilize like, the whole island because uh, they're not in Japan proper anymore. There, it's an island nearby, and but you will destabilize the entire island, definitely destroying this island and probably setting off tsunamis that'll hit mainland yeah all up and down the pacific rim like it's it'll be bad it's not good um and so luke after he wakes up uh goes and infiltrates the base fairly easily yeah um gets in a disguise as one of the henchmen he uh gets into samantha frees her she tells him all this seismology stuff and he's like, okay, cool. Sounds like we need to go break this machine. And if there's one thing I'm good at, it's fucking breaking stuff. Yeah. So let's go do that. <clears throat> um, they go uh, and are seen by some henchmen and Magnus. Um, Magnum. Magnum, sorry. And Fracas, she gets shot? She gets, yeah. Winged? Not bad. Like, not fatally, obviously. Yeah. Um, but that sets Luke off. Like, yeah. he doesn't know. Like, all he sees is she gets hit and goes down. And he's like, fuck that. No, we're done. Yeah. Um, proceeds to pull down a balcony, dis- you know, wh- wail on a couple of henchmen. Then finally him and uh, Magnum go at it. And it looks like it's going to be pretty open and shut until... Magnum blasts him in the face with a, like a finger cannon. Um, 
Yeah, but I like Cage like grabs his arm and smashes the the gauntlet. Yeah, which was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, he uh, Luke nearly goes over the side, but he manages to grab a hold. Um, at one point and stuff like that. But the end, the end result of all of this is a an earthquake is set off. Uh, Magnum is pitched over the side and seemingly falls to his death. And the drill goes with him. Um, the, the base blows up because of course it does. Um, and Luke and Samantha head back. Um, like I said, there's a brief like, huh, I wonder who that one guy was working for. But that's not followed up on at all in this issue. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't come up again. Completely forgot about that. Uh, and then the other thing, I, the one thing I did forget to mention is there is a brief, uh, some bullshit happens uh, as far as how Magnum survived his last appearance. Because right, because I thought he was getting liquefied because the Punisher... The, there was the the Punisher shot a canister right, that, that Magnum was holding. That contained the goo. Right. He and Spider-Man jump out the door and slam it shut. Magnum, it turns out, had an, a, a hazard suit under his clothes. So he just pulled on the stuff. But as I said, this is, this is the standard, like, guy seemingly died, but then some bullshit happened. Yeah. And that's what happened with him. So, I wonder what that writing meeting is like. Now, I I know that you know, the bullpen system is pretty dead now. But I know that they did kind of write a lot of these by committee, just because they were pumping out so many of them, and there were only five dudes. Yeah. Um. Hey, I need Moses Magnum to be back alive. Anybody got anything? And they're like, uh, hazmat suit. Like, what do you mean? Like, he just had one on him? Like, you Fuck know, it, let's go with that. Like, super villain, like, hidden hazmat suit that they all have. <laughs> and you just go, fuck it, yeah, let's go with that. Which, which, I will, I will give the hit, I will give this idea credit. If I were a super villain in a world like this, and working fucking with around two- with chemical weapons, I would totally do that. Yeah. I would have, I would, if I, if I had the suit with like the stuff, yeah, I would have a button on there that's just like, boom, hazmat. Yeah. Whoop, yeah. And it would be. So, Instant bubble boy. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, not a bad plan. It's not, it's not like, I feel like the way his death was presented in the last issue, there's no way that could have worked because he was holding because wasn't he like he I'm held the canister? Sure he had it above his head. Punisher shot it. Yeah. There's no way he could just be like, oop, Ooh. and then reach for, <laughs> and not have already been covered in whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think that's very much a uh, hazmat suit. He had it on him already. Uh, hope nobody looks too hard. Yeah. 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 That's pretty much the way it always is. But. Oh well. Fuck it. Uh, so yeah, so let's go ahead and take a break and then we'll do Inhumans because it's getting pretty close to an hour. So, yep. uh, we'll be 
time to think about it right and you and i've been yeah tossing uh, ideas back and forth i i would work for someplace like LexCorp, i think sure because you know the thing i was watching uh the after hours episode talked about w2s and things like that but that's part of it right because when you work for a villainous organization you know the thing about it is, like, there's not a lot protecting you. You know what I mean? Right. If you fuck up, your boss kills you. Sure. If you, you know, if you... you fuck if, up, your CEO kills you. <laughs> uh, you know, stuff like that. So, like, yeah, but someplace like LexCorp, you have certain protections. You know, someplace like Hydra or AIM... They're not following labor laws. AIM isn't following the laws of God, much less <laughs> OSHA. So, Oh, no, you know, OSHA, not at all. <laughs> you know, so in a place like LexCorp, it has to be up to code. There have to be hand railings uh, or, you know, uh, railings to protect you from falling into the vats of dangerous chemicals. Right. Things like that. Um, the one exception to this is I would not work in a place like Gotham. Like any co- any company in a co- in a city like Gotham, yeah, n- none of that applies. No, um, but you know, you get you get your federally mandated, you know, thirty minute lunch, two fifteen minute breaks. You get all of that. Plus, worse comes to worse, right? You're you're doing your henchman thing when suddenly Luthor comes under attack from the Red Lantern. Sure. Falling equipment is going everywhere. Blah, blah, blah. You get crushed. Yes. Your family could now potentially... I don't know how the laws work in that universe. Sure. Uh, I don't know what standing they would have to do so, but I'm willing to bet there's probably protections for industrial accidents relating to supervillain situations right uh and and let's be clear like luthor lexcorp is going to be spinning that situation as lexcorp coming under attack right not as two supervillains fighting over something exactly so 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 you're gonna get your life insurance you're gonna get your life insurance yes and then your family can probably sue lexcorp for wrongful death for wrongful death and then they're set and you won't get that yeah at some place like hydra or some place like aim definitely not hydra aim the thing i like about aim is that if i die at aim it's going to be definitely interesting and probably quick right and again, like what it, actually what going out, I, I I have a much higher chance of dying while at work than I do doing goonery, right? Like, also goonery is a great word, and I'm going to use it forever now. Um, but 
I, I, I feel because again, like if I'm ca- fighting Captain America because we're trying to get away with some chemicals that we need for our intelligent slime project, um, Cap's just gonna just knock me out and I'll wake up in jail. I'll be safer in jail. Yeah, but see, here's the thing. You're going to the lava situation and assuming that your death will be quick. That's no guarantee with the shit AIM is working with. That's true. You know, you may be in there. I may be dying already. Do what? I may be dying already. You may be in there working on MODOK's new Mind Flayer (laughs) when suddenly... You get mind flayed, and that's an eternity of, of like, the layers of your mind being pulled back and, like, burned away. It may be a relatively quick death, but to you, it is an eternity of pain and torment. Okay. Alright, let's do... I don't think, I don't think there is a good place to hinge. Well, no. But, whatever. Anyway, Inhumans number seven. And I, I, mm, uh, yeah. It's definitely Inhumans. Inhumans number seven is written by Doug Menge, penciled by Gil Kane, inked by Don Parlin, colored by Hugh Paley, and lettered by Gaspar Saladino and Howard Bender. Here... The first half of this Inhumans book was pretty good. Like, pretty good. Uh, with Maximus and, like, Black Bolt trying to... Yeah. Um, well, okay, so it starts out with them already in the ship having left. And they crash into a planet that is covered in, like, essentially covered in weird purple dust. Yeah. Um, and then to, to explain real quick, I mean issues number one through six, not the first half of what we read this. Week. Oh, okay. Yeah, issues one through six were really good. They were really good. It was a lot of like Maximus. It, okay, so it was a lot of in-house intrigue with some fighting punt mixed in, yeah. and I liked that though. Like that's what I want Inhumans to be. That's what Inhumans. The the thing that frustrates me. I accidentally read number twelve. When we were just supposed to read through 11. Right. Um, Inhumans, to me, is is really hit or miss. Because there are times where, like, when Black Bolt was, like, amnesiac and wandering around, I hated all that. But, you know, by the same token, Paul Jenkins' Inhumans, mm-hmm. uh, that was all really good. And, you know... Yeah, so it's it's all over the map for me. But the one thing I really hate is when Inhumans is trying to be a different book. And they did this most recently when they were trying to make Inhumans X-Men. Um, but, the, but the problem is, so the first few issues of it, the reading of Inhumans this week weren't great. But it's at least what Inhumans should be. Yeah. Because it's big, weird shit. They're dealing with the Kree. Blah, blah, blah. That last that last one that I accidentally read, issue 12, 
that starts to get into the shit that drives me crazy. Yeah. Where it's like the Inhumans on the streets of New York wearing disguises. And it's like, you're not X-Men. Yeah. Okay. Please stop doing this. <laughs> X-Men, that stuff provides context yeah. for X-Men because the X-Men are ultimately supposed to be regular people who have been shit on by society. They want a normal life, maybe. But... That is not what the Inhumans circumstance. want. Right. The Inhumans are coming from a completely different... They live in a weird enclave in the Himalayas with futuristic technology. That's not them. Their main that's thing is fine. leave me the fuck alone. Like, that's, that's their big deal. And that informs the characters to a different degree so that when they start trying to like hang out in new york it's like why are you doing this go home yeah you have no like (laughs) i get that they were at that point in the storyline they were trying to warn earth but like have them warn earth and go home yeah this is bullshit anyway so they're in the they're in their arc that they left in at the end of issue six and Suddenly, it's hit. Um, it is, uh, I don't, they get hit by a missile that was fired from this planet. They crash land. As you said, it's covered in weird purple dust. Um, they get out and start wandering around because the ship's broken and they're covered in this dust and they need to figure out, they got to do something. So they get outside and they're wandering around when this giant beetle that's gushing just torrents of water uh, comes plowing over them. And it's a mechanical beetle. They fly up above, or Black Bolt flies up above it, and the top of the beetle is clear. And you can see that there's an entire city inside this giant mechanical uh, thing. And uh, goons pop out and they take everybody prisoner um, with the exception of Lockjaw goes back inside of the Ark to take care of uh, that Zoltan dude. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's his name. I don't remember it. It starts with a Z. And so they get taken in front of the council that controls this Falzon. Falzon. And this Beetle City. And they're like, not. Basically, it comes down to you're not prisoners, but you can't leave. Yeah, because the city. The city is dealing with not only internal strife, but also there's another mobile city that is a danger to the city itself. The The thing that's... So... A lot of this, I feel like, is kind of dumb. But the initial premise, I think, works. The initial premise is a little Twilight because, Zone. Because as soon as they crash, the dust starts covering over the ship. Right. And so it makes sense that people 
on this world would constantly be fighting to keep from being overwhelmed by this dust. So they built these giant cities that uh, move around in order to keep from being buried. They move through the dust by spraying it with water. So basically what it means is they move from watering hole to watering hole on a, you know, they constantly have to be moving lest they're buried. That in itself is interesting. But what then is done with it is kind of like, all right. Um, yeah, it's because the rebels inside the city, they call them anarchists, which they're not. Um, but the rebels inside the city are against the moving of the city. They think that we don't need to be doing this anymore. Let's just stop and buy one of the watering holes. Fuck it. And uh, we'll, we'll just be a society there. And it's like, that's a, that's a fine idea too. Like from a logistics side, that's an okay idea too. You already built a giant beetle. Like, just build on top of it, above the dust. Like, Well, or make... You have the technology to build a city that is constantly moving. Build it in the middle of the watering hole. Yeah. Make it an aquatic city that just, like, floats on the surface of the water. If the water is not being covered over by the dust... Right. Then you're fine there. Yeah. I see, what? like, the... The interesting nature is cool. Like, the interesting of the setup, I like that. Yeah. It's the... <laughs> the problem becomes that once that setup is met within, with conflict that you're just like, well, yeah, you could just do that. The yeah. whole setup just immediately goes, well, we don't want it. It's like... Yeah, there has to be a reason not to, and yeah. there isn't. It's not like there are fucking monsters in the dust that no one can see until they consume you, or something right. like that. That would be in it. We can't fucking stop, because if we do, the planet itself will consume us. It's like, all right. Yeah, that makes sense. Sure. This is literally, literally, this is, we should stop moving the city. No. But, but this is this is such a massive problem and it puts us in conflict with other people when we should be building an honest to god civilization no, no. <laughs> like like we no. don't even have to change the power structure here you can still be in charge we just won't be moving yeah no so the rebel the rebels attack uh the inhumans get involved and yeah it's a whole Thing. They end um, up getting separated, don't they? Yeah, they get they get because of course they fucking do. They always do. It's so constantly annoying. Uh, so upshot is because of the fighting, a bomb goes off and blows off one of the legs. Yeah the the rebel so the rebels are holed up in the slums. Which, apparently, the upper class part is the part that's within the beetle. And yeah. then the legs are the slums, which... Alright, whatever. That all tracks, I guess. Uh, but in 
in the course of things, the rebels claim that they have a bomb that if the uh, if the city forces attack, will go off. The city forces don't really believe them. They think they're bluffing, but then their hand is somewhat forced, so they attack. The bomb, it turns out, is not a bluff. So when the the uh, militia or whatever fires their big weapon, the bomb goes off and blows off one of the legs. Yep. So now the beetle's just going in a big circle. Yeah. Because and even so though it now, had even though it had six legs, blowing off one totally renders it ridiculous. Yeah. Uh so yeah. Okay. Whatever. Uh so now so, we're, we're we're left at okay. Inhumans number eight is uh penciled by George Perez, colored by Janice Cohen, and lettered by Denise Wall. So we're left at an impasse with no no side is getting exactly what they want anymore. Uh, the the side that wants to stop is has ostensibly won because we're only circling in one area. But and the side that wants to keep moving is, is the city still moving, but they're also boned because if they don't get to the next watering hole, they'll run out of water and be you find out, I think it was either last issue or this issue, you find out that being immobile is bad also because there is, like JR said, there's a rival city that um, is controlled. Okay. There's a rival city. It is controlled by one of the anarchists who is trying to catch the beetle to make so, both, so that both cities stop. Yeah, you. Blackbolt and Medusa make their way back to the Ark and talk to Falzon. And it turns out that the Council of the Beetle is in contact with the Kree and has sided with them. Right. And it, the quote unquote anarchists uh, are wanting to have nothing to do with the Kree. Uh, in addition to just thinking that the mobile cities are dumb. Yeah. Um, so it turns out, so then this, the city come, or they, they are sitting there talking about all of this when suddenly a giant robotic spider comes by. And we have a repeat of the whole, like, soldiers come out of the city, there's a fight, blah, blah, blah. The Inhumans are taking... Uh, prisoner and brought inside at which point Black Bolt, Medusa, Longjaw and Falzon are brought before this anarchist dude. Uh, Karnak, Triton and Gorgon are still in the beetle and Karnak is feeling a bit useless. Uh, Karnak is Karnak is just like my ability is to find the weakness in anything and I've really been feeling lately like I have nothing to, to offer in battle. I have not been holding up my end of things. And Gorgon's just like, yeah, you kind of suck, but everybody does compared to me. And Triton's like, hey, man, I get it. My whole thing is just I'm, I'm a fish guy. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm right there with you. And Karnak is just like, I don't need you f to make me feel better. 
fuck you. And Triton's Fuck you, man. Like, I just wanted to vent. Yeah. He, uh... He's like, uh... I don't need you to patronize me. I said I was feeling useless. I didn't say I needed your gallant reassurance of my basic worth. And he's just like, so leave me alone, both of you. I'm going to deal with this by myself. Uh, and so Karnak spends a whole lot of time this week feeling sorry for himself. And it's really annoying. It is but... really annoying. Because honestly, like, this is dumb. Because he has the coolest power. He does. Honestly, out of all of them, he's definitely cooler than Gorgon. Like, Gorgon is just a big, strong dude that can stomp real hard. Like, that's pretty cool, but it's not fucking the ability to dismantle a house with a swing of my hand. Yeah. Right? Like, like oh god, like, it, it's just, it's so disappointing to not realize like, I don't know if that's... Is that the point that they're trying to make? Or do the writers think that Karnak's... I, I really don't... I really don't know. It's and difficult to parse if I, I'm supposed to be being like, Oh, Karnak, you're actually the coolest. Why don't you believe in yourself? And, like, that's the story for them? Or if the writers actually think this... And I can't figure it out? Yeah. I... I'm not opposed to Karnak having... A crisis of confidence yeah it's just it's it kind of there's so much going on that it feel it feels like an unnecessary diversion right this second yeah it's a little i kind of wish that instead of trying to be like and i think that's what he does later but triton being like hey man no you're cool like we love you you're part of the family instead of doing that just being like kind of not now bro yeah right like we can have this talk once we get the ship back in the air how about that yeah so uh at any rate um medusa black bolt and lockjaw are locked in a cage and they want it they are brought before uh warcon uh and his initial appearance (laughs) Like, when he first shows up. So, in later panels, uh, his helmet, he's got, like, these slit, almost Iron Man-like slits, normally. Uh, and so, it actually is an okay effect. Like, it's, like, black with just, like, little white circles to represent his pupils. The first time he shows up, He's, He's uh, the derpiest motherfucker <laughs> you have ever seen. I'm like, oh no, they 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 made my cat the leader. They his his eye so his eyes here are not represented by the slits. They just look wonky, and one is like kind of depressed a little bit. Yeah, like the one has a has like an. Uh, a convex curve to it, and the other has a uh, convex. Yeah, is that or concave? Yeah, sorry. Concave. Uh, the one has convex, the other has concave, and so <laughs> it it kind of looks like he's just like. Eh? And, and I, I he's, think it's he's, supposed to be. He's got a lazy eye, and I think the slits are still there, 
and I think this is supposed to be like light reflection, but it looks like his eyes, and it is not well rendered. No, and because if those are the slits up above, then what it winds up looking like is those are his eyebrows. Yeah, and so that combined with the fact that his headdress has a <laughs> fin and then these four like antennae looking things they're like a cross between antennae and spider legs uh and so at that <laughs> point at that point you're just like oh they they made him ruler for a day like you know it's it's one of those situations where you, a hat? where you see where you see you know you know that story of when like the Make-A-Wish kid got to be Batman for a day? Yep. I feel like the first time I saw Warcon, <laughs> I did not get the impression of like this badass military like leader. I got the impression of ah like they let him run the Spider City for a day. <laughs> tomorrow it'll be back it'll be back to the hospital and you know yeah, back so. to the hospital and his debilitating chemo treatments. <laughs> uh, anyway, they basically talk their way out, and they're yeah. like, "We're not. We don't like the Kree. Like, because they he basically, Warcon has a couple of beefs with these prisoners he's brought on. He's like, "Hey, fuck you. You got a Kree with you. I fucking hate the Kree. And no. And everybody in the cage is like, "No, we hate the Kree too. Falzon's actually, if he ever gets caught by the Kree, he's dead." Yeah. And they're like, hmm. Also, I fucking hate the Beetle City. I kind of want to stop that shit, too. And he's like, they're like, we too, too. Yeah. They were the first ones we encountered, and they broke their promises to us. They used us. We're right there with you. Yeah. They're pricks. And yeah. he's like, hit them with the truth, though, Ray. And they do. And he's like, yeah, no. They really fucking hate him. He's like, sweet. We are friends. Come join yeah. my war party. Yeah, and uh, so it turns out that the Beetle City was, uh, was, so they tell him that there was an attack by the rebels, the rebel leader was was killed along with all the rebels, and an entire city section was blown up, and uh, Warcon is just like, you know what, fucking hell, like, they were... they were on the list, but now they're at the top. We're dealing with these motherfuckers. And it's at that point that a scout comes flying up and he's just like, Sir, we saw the, we saw, we found the Beetle City. It's crippled. Uh, let's go after it. We then, we then get a brief vignette of, uh, of some shit the Kree are up to where they're taking over uh random people on earth um and uh we find out that there are a grand total of a hundred people and it's and what i love is the thing that i like is that uh they explain that in cree culture there is no mystical significance to the number 100 that the cree just really like it it's like, just a just good like, round number. It's a good number. Yeah. A hundred people. Whatever. Whatever. Like, it's like, it's solid. Yeah. It's an order of magnitude. I like it, you know? You know, like ten people, that's not enough. That's, that's not, not enough. enough to do whatever you need to do. 
a hundred people or a thousand people. That's, that's way too many. Oh that's unwieldy. Yeah. And you don't need that. You don't need that many people. That's gonna. You're gonna need management overhead at that point, and right. that's not. You're gonna need lieutenants to each handle maybe two hundred. Yeah. Whatever. Maybe even ten lieutenants to each handle a hundred. Like that's just. And now then you're, 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 then you've you're, got you're, a hierarchy, and it's you're running down the number of people that you actually have to do the work. Like it's not good. Right. With a hundred hierarchy breeds bureaucracy. But a hundred people. That's a party. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't I don't think we... Do we actually find out what this is about? This I week? think we get told what it's about, but we don't do anything about it. Okay. So, so yeah. Um, the Inhuman... Like, Black Bolt and Medusa are talking to Warcon, and Warcon is going to attack no matter what. So, Medusa and Black Bolt kind of go along with it. Um, they're kind of like, so yeah, to... sure, we'll we'll join your war party and go beat up those guys. But then they get aside and they're like, we're really just gonna get on, get our three dudes, and get the fuck out, right? And yeah, Black Bolt nods at her like, duh. Well, I mean, they even tell Warcon they're just like, we are primarily worried about finding our friends. And yeah. Warcon is just like, I'll give you a squad of my dudes. Yeah, do what you got to do, uh, stuff like that. So they attack. The Inhumans are reunited, um, and uh, all hell breaks loose as the two cities uh, start blasting each other. Um, And on the one hand, hooray, Warcon City manages to, like, best the Beetle City. However, it is uh also now crippled like it's pretty, it pretty can't, fucked up yeah yeah it can't now move either so we're all just left uh fucked and Warcon's like there's only one option i never wanted to do this but there's nothing we can do um and we're let and medusa's like what are you talking about and Warcon's like you'll see yeah you'll see You'll see. This is still a comic book. I can't just tell you. Uh, So, issue number nine is a terrible, terrible lie. Because (laughs) uh, the cover is what's supposed to be next. But the issue itself is a reprint of of the Inhuman stories from Amazing Adventures Volume 2, number 1 and 2. Right. I didn't even read this. Yeah. I, I, mean, I got five pages in and was like, I fucking read this. Yeah. I mean, I, I started reading it because I'm like, okay. And then uh, and then, uh, it, it starts and it's like the, uh, the Fantastic Four are looking at slides of the Inhumans. And uh, it's just like, yep. This uh, this one is this guy, and this one is this guy. Uh, but then, like, Crystal is there in her Fantastic Four-type clothing. Uh, and she and Johnny are still together. And I'm like, wait a minute. What the fuck? And then I, I look, and I'm like, oh, you assholes. So, sometimes with these books that we 
with the books that aren't on unlimited right let's that we that we get sometimes with my reader that i use on my computer i will open a new book like if i don't sh close the application entirely mm -hmm. and then open the next book i will get about halfway through and then i'll start reading the old, the book i was reading before like it's just the application's weird okay and so so sometimes that happens so i opened this and was like is this what the fuck is going on because yeah. the cover is new and then the second page or the first page is totally something we've read before yeah. i was just very confused i actually had to look it up and be like this is a reprint of da 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 da, da. and i go okay cool but for 10 minutes it was really weird yeah the well i i wound up looking it up but just because there is a tendency for it to just be like we're gonna do this now and not tell you yeah so i checked it to make sure that it was a reprint and not just we're gonna do something different for an issue yeah but yeah so uh issue number 10 is uh is written is penciled by keith pollard who also does the inks colored by don warfield and lettered by john costanza um this issue so uh the issue starts and there's still some pockets of resistance in the beetle city uh the the city militia that are now re rebels against the former rebels uh but the uh, we have a brief moment where Karnak is gonna do something, and then Medusa stops him and oh. is just like, "No, Black Bolt can handle this a hell of a lot better than you can." Well, and she even says, "Like Black Bolt can do this with minimal damage." Like, yeah, if you do this, half the goddamn Beetle's gonna fall apart. Right. Uh, so. Black Bolt blasts it, and they then make their way through. Um, at which point, um, Scorn, the guy who was running the city, appears, and he's just like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! I swear to you, I, I'm, I've, I've surrendered. I didn't order those guys to attack you." And they're just like, "Okay, whatever." Um, yeah, because Orkon's basically like, cool, bro, take us to the ship. Because he yeah, knows cause they the, have a spaceship. The be the Beetle has a ship that can take them to a Kree hub yeah. in this galaxy or whatever. So, Scorn is like, yeah, I'll take you to the ship. I'll, yeah, he does this really snibbling thing very well here. Um, and he turns to one of his aides while they're loading on into the ship and is like did you do the thing and the aide's like it's done he's like cool yeah um, um when they when they get to the ship uh warcon's uh so scorn is just like i'll order my technicians too and warcon's like no you won't i don't need any help from you mm -hmm. um and uh it's at that point that one of Warcon's men is just like, 
So shall we shoot them? And uh, Black Bolt takes on a very, like, he widens his stance a little bit. Yeah. And it's at that point that Medusa's like, no, Black Bolt does not approve of cold-blooded murder. And Warcon's like, fine. Uh, it sucks that Warcon was introduced in such a derpy panel <laughs> because he ends up being a pretty cool guy. Like, yeah, as I a really character. like Warcon. Yeah. But that first introduction to him, it was just like, Arr? uh so they get aboard the ship and start flying i don't remember what is their actual plan i'll tell you i'll tell you what it is i'll tell you what it is i feel like the uh the way that warcon is introduced he first walks out of the shadows and and if it were a comedy series yeah if it were if it were like a Rick and Morty, yeah, this dude would walk in and just be like, and the the guy would be like, "What do you want?" And he'd just be like, "I unplugged the toilet for you." Right. He's like, "Great, get out of the way. Warcon is gonna get here sure. in a minute." <laughs> like, yeah. So they pile on board uh, the ship. And Warcon's trying to remember. Warcon's plan, I found it. Warcon's plan is actually just to get into low orbit and try to locate another patch of rebels so that they can start uh, consolidating everybody together. Maybe oh. repair one of the one of the insects and move it to where they could have a stable society. Okay. Um, but as soon as they get to about altitude for orbit. He's like, he gives the command and the, the guy at nav or the pilot is like, um, I can't, the controls are locked and we're, we're going to the Nexus. And he's like, ah, shit. They tricked us. I'm going to kill that guy. When I get back, I just want you to know. And black bolts like, Sure. Um, I guess. So they end up getting taken to the Nexus. And everyone's like, how the fuck are we going to get out of this one? And Black Bolt or Medusa suggests that, well, we're in Scorn's ship. Let's just pretend to be Scorn's people. They're expecting that. Uh, Triton did. Okay. Triton suggested it. Um, Because Triton is used to not just rolling in <laughs> with it with his cock out that's uh, true so yeah um so they board the hub at which point uh montag who is the montag's first appearance was on the cover of number nine right uh he you know he showed up there he was named on the cover. Yep. And then did not appear until this issue. Um, so Montag is, uh, uh, is like, what are you doing here? And, uh, 
Orkhan explains, yeah, we were forced to flee because we came under attack by the rebels. We held out as long as we could. And Montag's like, you failed, though. Um, so they send, um, they send them off to this room to wait until Montag hears from the council. Uh, after they're gone, a dude runs in and he's just like, we heard from Scorn and the, and our allies in the Beetle City. It, those are the rebels. Those are the rebels. And so they come under attack. So the Inhumans and Warcon's men split up. Um, and, uh, the Kree find the Inhumans. Montag and Black Bolt go head to head, and Montag has the standard Cree bullshit weapon, uh, which Black Bolt is able to withstand pretty well. The individual Inhumans are handling their their dudes pretty handily. I mean, it's pretty cool that wrecking like, wrecking the Cree is the Inhumans' jam. Yeah, like this is what they are here it's, for. It's almost like that's what they're designed to do. Yeah. So to each of them get about three, the the two to a person, and they're all like, "Yeah, okay, this is Tuesday," uh, and pretty well wrecked shop. They get joined back up with Black Bolt after he takes down. Montag and what what I love is the Inhumans are fighting the Kree the Kree are like fuck it turn on the lasers and then uh, the Inhumans are just like whatever magic dog (laughs) so Lockjaw creates a force field around them and they just walk through Uh, whatever magic dog also so yeah they walk through the lasers and then just thump out to, to where Black Bolt just won yeah um they find a computer bank that reveals that some of these control humans that are being controlled on Earth are doing sabotage, among other things. Right, uh, that's right. Blowing up a warehouse. At that point, more Kree show up. Uh, Karnak figures out a way to get him to through a wall and to uh warcon's people and warcon's like okay i've got a plan uh and the plan is to blow up the station and yeah black bolt's like whoa no you don't fuck that um and he hits the thing that's gonna explode with cosmic energy his tuning fork energy and slows it slows down the molecular destabilization yeah um this will give them enough time to get everybody off so that warcon doesn't sacrifice him doesn't have to sacrifice himself what black bolt didn't count on is that warcon is really really looking for that dare to be a martyr situation yep uh so as soon as they get to the ship a bunch of Kree come running in, and Warcon's like, okay, closes the door on the Inhumans, and they take off, at which point he's just like, all right, guys, nobody lives forever, and it's just like, well, you could have tried to live a little <laughs> longer. Um, 
But in the end, the ship blows up, um, and they—they uh, they leave the Ark behind on the shitty dust planet and take the uh, the Kree rocket back to Earth. It, in the course of things, they're just like, you know, in realizing that the Kree are advancing their agenda on Earth, they start talking about, like, you know, we should get back to Adelan so we can warn the countries of Earth. And they start talking about, you know, I've been thinking, we kind of shouldn't have left. Like, yeah, we're not human humans, but Earth is our home. Like, we, we don't really belong out here. And so in the end, they decide, we return to Earth, we try to save it, and let's go from there. Yeah, it's um, like, what are you going to tell the Adeline people, guys? Your whole deal was you were leaving because you fucked up Adelan. Like, there aren't any buildings standing anymore. And yeah. your plan was to go find a planet that you could put all the people from Adelan on, rebuild society, and everyone would leave you the fuck alone. Like, this was the plan. You were doing this as penance for having fucked up. Like, you needed to prove that the royal family still had use. Like, it, it, not you, that's wrong. It's, you were proving to the people that uh, you were honorable and still noble, had their best interests. Still had their best interests in heart. And, like, that's, even though you fucked up bad, like, we were going to put this back together. Right. If you come back empty-handed because you feel bored, and it went bad the first time that's gonna be hard to sell i mean they could do it but and they do i i really thought that they were gonna be like let's go back to earth but maybe not earth and like that's how we were gonna get them on the moon yeah but i know but then i thought about it for two seconds and i was like that doesn't happen forever yeah like chronologically that takes a while from this book yeah so Whatever, like, it was a fun little experiment we had, but now we're going back to Earth. Uh, so Inhumans, number 11, is uh, inked by Jim Mooney, colored by Janice Cohen, lettered by Gaspar Saladino and Irving Watanabe. Uh, they, arrive, <laughs> they arrive back and uh, are immediately beset by the Coast Guard of, in New York City. Uh... They fight back and uh, wind up on the run from the, the American authorities. So, the one thing I like here, I like here, this is such a dumb little moment, but it's like, okay, whatever. Uh, they, take, they take refuge in Madison Square Garden where there's a rock concert going on. Uh, Gorgon starts tapping his feet, but because he's Gorgon, he just starts stomping. So the place starts coming down. Everybody panics. It's a whole fucking thing. Um, yeah. 
it's cool. But yeah, that part I like. The Kree are pissed. Are angry at the Inhumans for the destruction of their local hub. Uh, so they beam. They work on this thing called the Pursuer uh, that they have crafted into the perfect, like, hunter to track down the, uh, the Inhumans. Instead of putting a dude in a ship and sending it to Earth, what they're doing is they're basically creating, like, the information to create a pursuer, which they are going to beam to Earth, and whatever whatever the beam hits, that is what the pursuer will be made out of. Like, based on. Yeah, in in theory, it's it's cool. Like, yeah. if if a if the beam hits a piece of metal, you get a metal pursuer. If it hits a stone, you get a stone pursuer. If, if it, it hits, hits a, the if it water, hit... you get a, an, a water-based pursuer. But either way, this thing is designed to fight and kill inhumans. Cool. So um, what does it end up hitting instead? It hits a cockroach. Which, okay, like, cockroaches are resilient, comparatively speaking. You know, cool. Right. Whatever. Um... I always, I always found the idea that cockroaches are the ultimate life form kind of funny because it's just like, well, yeah, I mean, compared to other bugs, I guess, like, sure. <laughs> but uh, so the pursuer, the pursuer winds up this slightly buggy Cree dude, uh, tracks down the Inhumans and wrecks them like, yeah. Um, he's also got this, uh, rod that... Yeah, he's got, he's got the standard Kree bullshit weapon. And he, he can control the elements of things around him. So at one point it looks like Medusa's gonna get him taken down, but he shoots the rod at the pavement of the street they're on, and tendrils of pavement come up and, uh strangle everybody except for black bolt right and like i said it's your standard Cree bullshit weapon they all have it you know everybody gets one yeah uh, this goes on for some time until finally falzon falzon happens across a random van grabs something out of the back and sprays it at the pursuer it turns out to be uh, pesticide. And so, while the pursuer is not dead, uh, it takes him out of the fight and the, the cops load him up. And that is, that is the end of that for the moment. I don't know when we're actually supposed to wind up reading Inhumans number 12. Uh, but, you, you I hate it. You hate it. And at the end of this, they're in a cell. They're uh, going through the Salvation Armory clothing. Yeah. Uh, 
dumpster and uh, putting, trying to disguise themselves somehow, which is going to be like tough for Karnak and Triton. Well, Karnak, Karnak winds up with a turban, which okay, oh. uh, gross, but like yeah, this is this is what I'm saying about like I don't care about the Inhumans wandering the streets of New York wearing fucking trench coat and hat. And it's stupid because it's not like they don't know anybody in New York. Yeah. (laughs) They know the most famous people in New York personally and have tried to kill them twice, once, on accident because it was a misunderstanding. That, uh, That all got cleared up. You could go ring the bell and be like, Hey, Johnny. Okay. Uh, well, they we... weren't... So, in 12, we find out the Fantastic Four weren't home. Oh, okay. But they also, like... They know the Avengers. They know the Avengers. And even if they don't... The Avengers were at Pietro's wedding. Right. So, they could just show up at the at Avengers Mansion. Even if the even Avengers if... aren't home... Jarvis is? Jarvis will let them in and Jarvis be like... Jarvis will just be like, hey... Hi. Hey, uh, would you like some tea? Tea and sandwiches. Always. I've got at the cucumber ready. sandwiches, guys. I'm British. I always have cucumber sandwiches. They're Uh-oh. available. Do what? They're available. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, top five. Top five. The Watcher's Guide's Top Five. From me, number five. Guys, you know about the skin, right? Like, it's my whole deal. My skin is bulletproof. It's the whole It's the whole deal. In fact, if you don't know about the skin, that means I fucked up. That's on me. Yeah. Because uh, that's part, that's bad advertising and I'll need to, I'll need to talk to my manager about it. Um, number four, <laughs> Warcon's introduction. Just the derpiest derp derp that ever derped. Um, especially yeah, I, I literally have in my notes King Derp. <laughs> it's and it's only because like it's so derpy that when they do a good shot, like a close up of his face later, I almost thought it was a different guy. Yeah, like oh, okay, and then he turns out to be like an actually cool and interesting character for the time that he's around. That. I don't know, and I really like it any time that, like, somebody shows up, and instead of, like, doing this long, drawn-out, like, first we talk, and then we fight, and then we talk again, he's just, Medusa's just like, no, we hate the assholes, too. Like, all the assholes. Every asshole that you just listed? We I don't like them. <laughs> we don't like them at all. And he's like, well, truth, Ram. They do the truth, Ray, and he's like, Okay, cool. Come on, let's go. Like, I just love how quickly he wrapped that up and made a decision. Yeah. Uh, number three, uh, we didn't get to spend a lot of time with it, but the uh, the way the Curtis Carr Comestra one like ends up because the last time that he goes to him or that Luke goes to Curtis Carr to get the nullifier before he goes and fights Comestra the last time is kind of a good scene where he's like hey man like 
A, thanks for the thanks for the tech. B, like I see it. Like you really are trying. Like you don't want to be a villain at all. You know, not having a foot withstanding, but like you thanks. You're a good dude. Yeah. And like you, you were just a goofus and a bad villain. So it's good that you're not doing that anymore. I liked it it was a it was good. Luke is a really cool character because he does have these moments strewn throughout all of the issues where he's like, Oh yeah, humanity. Let's do that. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool. Uh number two, I'm stealing from you, which is uh Big Brother as an idea. Like that's cool. And it, it it would be really interesting to see maybe not a more modern take, but like any writer do anything else with that as a dark, not a dark reflection in so much, but like it was just a different way. This could have gone. Um, I like it. Uh, and then number one, and even though it's goofy, the quick can't the quicksand escape because it's actually exemplary of kind of, luke's lateral thinking this this whole week like he does it's not just the quicksand fight but that's like the first or the quicksand trap like it's that's just the first example of it that he will be in a situation and instead of doing if being in a situation and if you were to do the obvious thing you would surely fail so do the unobvious thing like he he did. He did that a couple of times this week, and I, I thought it was neat. Well, and and Camistro is expecting you yeah. to do the the obvious thing. He's prepared for you to do the obvious thing. If he if you pop your head above the surface of the quicksand, assuming you even could, yeah, then Camistro. Camistro probably turns the surface back into pavement immediately. Like, right. Yeah. There's just no there's no getting around it. Uh yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's me. Uh so there are a couple of there are a couple of uh honorary mentions here. Um the the one is uh is of course King Dirk. Um <laughs> Because it is, it's just funny, and I re- I recognize it's a coloring error. Yeah, and it may not even be a coloring, like it the was col- a coloring decision that maybe didn't turn out as well as. Well, it might have, it may have just been the layers. Yeah. Like it might not even be like the color is messed up. It could have been the actual the printing. printing. Yeah, yeah. I know. I mean, there's there's several possibilities. Mm-hmm. Whatever the case may be, like that's why I didn't put it on my top five is because. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, now I feel bad. No, I'm just I'm just saying. I'm like, kidding. That was that was my decision. Um, number five. I gotta go with uh, things as tired as the of this fucking story as I am. Like <laughs> at the end of it, things just like, I'm done. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm you're all great. Whatever. But I swear to God, if, if if I have to go back in time and team up with another group of Melvins, <laughs> I am gonna. 
Excuse me. Uh, number four is uh, Moses Magnum gets shit done. Like, yeah. he has a mole in his organization who's taking orders from somebody else. Whatever. No, 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 come on, Gary. Like, I trusted you with with the codes. Yeah. Like, come on. He's just like, oh, well, ka-chunk. Uh, but also, he's managed, he managed just not only from a, a good decision-making side, but, like, he managed to put together, re- reconstruct his, his criminal enterprise after it had been thoroughly dismantled by uh, Punisher and Spider-Man. So, yeah. Yeah, he gets shit done. Yeah. Uh, number... What am I on? Three? Three. Is, uh... The Beatles Cities. Uh... As a setup, yes. As a setup. Yeah. Uh, I don't like what they did with it. Right. But I think in the con... In a... Post-apocalyptic... Quiet place kind of way. Sure. That could make for an interesting story. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Number two... Uh, like like you said, Luke Cage had some really great moments uh, as far as dealing with dealing with some next level shit, but especially that quicksand quicksand. Um, yeah. And number one, so this one I didn't used to really like Luke Cage. Uh, when I was when I was a kid and I was introduced to the concept of Luke Cage as he originally appeared, the whole heroes for hire thing, uh, I wasn't a fan because I, because I had a very purist notion of superheroes where it's just like, you shouldn't be doing it for money. Yeah. You asshole. (laughs) Uh, You had the Ben Grimm opinion. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but going back and reading some of these, what I, what I think is really interesting. And the reason my number one is what it is, is not just big brother as a concept, big brother as a counterpoint to Luke Cage is not only interesting in and of itself, but I think it also, it also throws into sharp relief. You know, we talk about, we've talked over the course of this show about the fact that in the early issues of Spider-Man, it would not have taken much at all for Peter Parker to wind up a supervillain. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and we've talked about how Reed, Reed taken to his logical conclusion is... If not a supervillain, at the very least, just pure research. If he didn't have Sue there, I could see him disappearing up his own ass. Yes. Um, and she... he's one of the few heroes that can actually do that. Thanks for that. <laughs> now that's all I can think about. Yep. Uh, but anyway, I, I think in the case of Luke Cage, I think his origin is such that... Uh, you could easily see him getting out of prison or 
well, escaping prison and just being like, fuck all of you. Um, yeah, it and, really was just a decision he made, right? Like, he, he was wandering, he got to New York, or he got back to New York, and he was like, well, now I'm here. I don't know, and his whole plan at that point was find the assholes who set me up. Yeah. And after he had accomplished that, he could either have, he just was like, well, now I need bread. But, like, he could have easily been like, well, this was fun. I'm just going to keep doing this. And that would have been so easy. Yeah. Uh, robbing a bank for Luke Cage, easy as shit. Um, and so when I, when I was a kid and I was thinking, well, that's not how you're supposed to do it. Obviously... I knew nothing at that time right. of being an adult and having bills to pay. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, like the the path Luke Cage has found himself on isn't easy. It's no. not it's hard to it's hard to be a superhero and especially in the Marvel universe where not everybody is a billionaire at that time. Like, you know, uh like it's 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 hard but luke still wants to help people and i don't know i i think it's really impressive um and i guess i just didn't i didn't really i didn't really uh think about it until now i'd been i'd been viewing it you know, up until, up until these issues, I'd been viewing it as Luke Cage, you know, when he decides to do something heroic for the sake of it being heroic, that's an improvement of the character. But I realized with Big Brother, Luke has always been a hero. Oh yeah. He's just a hero who's, who's, down in the shit yeah. and has to find a way to survive. Um, and I mean, but that doesn't often... make his heroism any less. No. I mean, more often than <clears> not, they, they'll, he ends up helping people. A lot of the stories, it seems like, are like, rich dude needs to hire Luke. And he's like, sweet, I'm actually going to get paid for this one. Ends up being either the rich dude is the problem, or right. uh, he ends up actually doing work to help um, a, someone with less not rich, right? Fewer resources. Fewer resources. And he ends up doing them a solid, and then either doesn't get paid, or... If they were gonna pay, if they were gonna try to pay him, the ones with fewer resources, he was gonna, he was never gonna take their money anyway. Right. So, so, I don't know. I it's, I feel dumb that it's taken me this long. Well, and like my introduction to Luke Cage was very much uh, mid two thousands. Damn, Luke Cage, and that guy was always a hero. He was a little unconventional, unconventional about the way that he like, uh, the 
way he got shit done. Yeah. But, like, he got shit done and was a hero about it. Yeah. Um, also, it was after Jessica and they were getting married or had the baby already. No, she was pregnant when I started reading. And they were either about to be Avengers or about to be kicked out of the Avengers. So they were pretty stable, I think, at the time that I started reading. New Avengers, pretty much. Right. Well, I'm trying to think... She got pregnant in Alias, I think. Yeah. And she was pregnant forever. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I was trying to, I was trying to think because when New Avengers started, that means she would have been pregnant and they would have been dating. So, yeah. Hmm. But yeah, like even, even early on, uh, you know, New Avengers was the point where I'm just like, okay, Luke Cage, whatever. Uh, I was I was not happy about his inclusion when New Avengers started because I never liked the character. Sure. And because I still had that shit rattling around in my head. Right. You don't take money to be a superhero. Even though, even though at that point, I was still, like, I was an adult. Yeah. And I'd been broke yeah. and stuff. I was still just like, okay... Being- you can be a superhero and get paid fine. You're not an Avenger, bro. Uh, but, sure. Yeah. But now, no. Yeah, he's he's totally Avengers material. He's. Uh, it's really clunky when he's in other people's books, but right. But I think that's just sometimes new writers don't really know what to do with him. Like yeah. when he's in Fantastic Four, it's weird. It doesn't really fit. Um, but team-up's great. His team-up appearance has been solid. Not team-up. Uh, Two-in-one. Yeah. Maybe so. a team-up, too. Definitely a team-up, because that was a team-up after... No, that was just 124, wasn't it? That was just Amazing Spider-Man 124. 23 or 24. Yeah. Yeah. Both. Uh, when uh, Jameson hired him? Yeah, I want to say it was Jameson that hired him. And that was. God, that issue was so fucking good. Yeah. Because he just needed something to punch. And Luke was like, all right. <laughs> yeah. That was great. So uh, next week. Next week's a little all over the place. Uh, we have we have some Son of Satan, uh, Marvel two and one, a single issue of Defenders, and then uh, we we have the return of uh, Black Panther appearing in oh, Jungle Action. Sweet. So uh, <clears throat> that'll be good. So yeah, uh, join us then. Uh, I don't. We haven't really discussed. Uh, next week with it being Thanksgiving. But, uh, yeah. So, I don't know. We'll let you know. Uh, 
I, yeah. There will be Twitter. Yeah. Twitter, Facebook. Uh, which brings me to, in the meantime, oh, uh, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, email us at watchersguide at gmail.com or visit our website at watchersguide.com. Uh, we do have, we are launching our new show, How Marvelous, with Mickey Lexa. Uh, and that actually, the first episode <clears throat> at time of recording is up on the website. You can listen to it now. Uh, we are, I am working on getting approval from iTunes and stuff and Google Play and so forth. Mickey is making a video that will be posted on YouTube. But if, if in the meantime, you want to listen to our first episode, that is available at our website at watchersguide.com so uh have a marvelous week bye